Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui Venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Now, uh, uh, many people know Giannis as the uh, Latvian hunter. Others know him as the Latvian eagle, the Latvian lover. Um. What people don't know is that Giannis wears a special Latvian power ring. It's a somewhat ladylike braided silver ring. And uh, it's called a names, the ring. Giannis is paying absolutely no attention to what we're talking about right now. Just do my job here. Wears a special Latvian decorative power ring on his right hand. Now, his father is here, and I would like his father, also named Giannis. All Latvians are named Giannis. I would like his father to explain to us all, once and for all, why why you fellas wear Latvian power rings. Okay, well... First, I'm not sure that where the power thing came from. Because, I call it that. Okay. Well, so because that, one day I was making a joke, like you know, you know that genre of jokes that go like "your ma." Yeah. Okay. I I got into those for a while, and 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 I like to do it to Yanni because he's the only guy I knew that cared. Got it. So if you did a "your ma," if he's like, "Hey, your ma," um, he would actually act like you were talking about his mom. Yes. And he said, the next time you do that. You're gonna see a blinding flash of silver in the as my as my namace makes contact with your face. Yeah. 
So then I started, we started calling it, or I did maybe, the Latvian power ring. So just, we'll just call it a namace. But I feel like if you said to a Joe Blow American that you had a namace on, that the hell are you talking about? That's but if right. you said to them, you're wearing a Latvian power ring, I think that they start to get the picture. Could be. Depends on where they're from. I, I don't have the answer to that. So it's not a Latvian power ring. It's just a, a ring. A namace. And it has a definite braiding to it. There's actually more than one type. So you can get variations on them. And it's, a, it's a, I think, a, a beautiful ring. And mm-hmm. it's something that Latvian men wear with a lot of pride. But, but you pointed out to me this week that while, while hunting moose that you own four but stopped wearing a namace. I think I have three still, and they, and they're broken because I got my finger caught in the wrong place. And gotcha. They're so, better, you know. Some are better than others, so uh, yeah, they break somewhat easily. So tell us, tell us all the story. I, I want to warn you: this has absolutely nothing to do with the normal things we talk about which, on this program. Which story? The one where I got my finger caught? No, 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 no. <laughs> why, uh, why Latvians wear Namace rings? How that how that tradition came to be? I have no idea. Well, I know. Oh, I'm just you leading you into telling me something I already know. Oh, Yanni, you tell him. I, maybe Yanni knows more than I do about it. I told you the other day. I told you the story to check it with you. Uh, I don't recall. I can tell it as I know it. Yeah, you yeah, should. Okay. You know as well as anybody. Okay. Now, Latvia is a small country in Europe. Once upon a time, they had a king named Names. Oh, now I remember the story. Okay. okay. But go ahead. You're doing good. A bad guy, an enemy of the Latvian folk, says, uh, I'm going to come kill that king, Names. I'm going to kill him. And someone must have said to him, well, how are you going to know it's him? How are you going to know to kill the right Latvian? Right. Kind of like the Custer story. Names says, or he, the, the enemy of Names says, well, he wears this special braided ring. So I'm going to find him and kill him. Now, the Latvians get wind of this, and they concoct a scheme by which all Latvian men will go out and get themselves a ring just like King Names. Then the bad guy's going to show up, and he's going to have to either kill every single Latvian male or he'll be, you know, Right. There's a story like this in the Bible, you know, it has Correct. to do with painting Correct. stuff on doors. Yes. But uh, so now, in case they're still out there looking for them, it's it's you know it's become tradition now to wear the ring to sort of, as an act of solidarity to protect right the I, king. Though I'm guessing Latvia no longer has a king. That that is true. I, Latvia has never had a king as a uh, democratic country. Okay, but it was a bunch of tribes, so there were. At some point, there were kings hundreds of years ago. So does that, how much of that story jives with the truth? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think it's a good story. So no, I don't it mean makes the truth sense. like that it literally happened. No, with, but I mean, is that like the, why the ring? With the legend, yes. It would follow the legend. So, but now so do confused. you know the legend? So why did I no. ask you to tell me the legend, but you told me you didn't know, that you didn't know? Well, because I recall this story. I don't particularly know. I mean, I'm sure there may be other legends that deal with this particular ring. Like Latvians have a bride's ring, too, that has seven bells from it. Oh, really? And Did you your wife can, wear one of those? And you can, get various, uh, you can get variations on what every one of the bells means or how it's to be worn and how it's to be given. So, 
So they spin their own yarn. Sort of. Similar thing. Um, I used to, uh, for a long time, I had a Jewish girlfriend, and we would go to this uh, th- this place. It was, it was fun to go to this place called the Chabad House, where like super hard hitting, ultra orthodox. And, and their mission is to take their their mission. I don't know if they'd state it quite this way, but their mission would be that you'd take moderate Jews or secular Jews and 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 bring them into the traditional old way to bring them into Hardcore. the hard line. Yeah. So, but we would go down there because we like talking to these guys and getting the inside scoop on deep Judaism. And uh, we were talking about the various prohibitions. Cause I was asking the, this rabbi, I was like, is it ever possible? Would it ever be possible to have kosher wild game? Like, could you have kosher wild game? He said, the only way you could have kosher wild game, cause we just, we always ate wild game. So we realized we can't be kosher. Right. Right. So, uh, he said, well, here's what you'd have to do. You'd have to catch it in a net and not harm it, not injure it at all. Capture it in a net and then bring it in for, for kosher slaughter. Right. And that's the only way to do it. Anyways, what I'm getting at is a similar thing where you would say to this guy, you know, people say like there's like this prohibition, there's this Old Testament. Like the Jewish Bible is the, you know, the Torah is the Old Testament. So there's a story in the Old Testament where you have all the dietary prohibitions and Right, and that originates because they didn't want people to eat bad food, right? No, 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 no. No, it doesn't. That's my assumption. But I'm just saying, what I'm, when I put that to that guy, I said to this, this okay. Chabad house guy, I was like, yeah, but don't you think that they didn't want you to eat pork because you could catch parasites. Right, trichinosis. From undercooked pork, and so it's sort of like a prohibition that kind of saves you from yourself. Right. He said... You don't know why God said don't eat pork. God didn't say don't eat pork because I'm concerned about trichinosis. It's not your business to even understand why God said don't eat pork. God said don't eat pork. Don't eat pork. Don't rationalize this and guess my motives. My motives are unknown to you. Correct, but that's a little different than the ring. No, but it just reminds me of that. Oh, okay. Sure, No, that's acceptable. I mean, the ring is basically to protect one person's life. Yeah. To make it so but that he's that un- king is now dead. Oh, for many centuries. So uh, many people still wear the ring, though. Yeah. Brody, and, uh, rip a cow call. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Brody Henderson. You know, you don't think I can't figure out, we have so many fly fishing guides on this damn show. I don't understand why they, how you guys just trickle your way in. It's a natural progression from Bro, fishing Bro, to hunting, right? a big right? swinging dick fly fishing guide. Yeah, yeah. Rip a cow call, Brody. I'll give my best. God. <laughs> Rick? Oh, you don't want me to do it. <laughs> no, because yours is fun. No, we'll, come to, we'll do Rick last. Yeah, do, Corey, my, do my This last. will be the second ever cow call Corey's yes. ever ripped. Yes, here we go. Yanni, grip on that. That's pretty good. Yeah, I like Yanni's, but the end of Yanni's gets weirdly human. That's also good. That was good. Rick? Oh, man, mine's too high. I know it. 
It's yeah, like yeah. a senior. Do you want me? To, I'm gonna okay. try. I'll tr- okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's after. I'll point out that this man Shit. called in a bull. This <laughs> man called in a bull on the second day on. <laughs> I really do think it was. Now that right there is the sound. <laughs> that right there is the sound of a winning cow call. Proven, field tested, on a big bull. Thank you. Yes, Rick. Oh man! All right, I'll do it. That's good. Nice, nice. I'm gonna rip one out of my special horn. Uh oh. Where's my special horn? Here's a fact. Here's a factory produced rip. Oh, bro, you hate my phone over there. It's plugged in. Oh, we're gonna do the little. Well, I'm show Buck Bowden's master. Show Buck Bowden's master call. This, this is here, here, first. I'm gonna do Buck Bowden ripping one. Let me know if you guys can hear this good. This guy's a guide, hidden Alaska outfitters. This guy's called in a bajillion moose, including a uh, 78 inch bull one time that he called in twice. First time he didn't want to shoot, then he shot the second time. Um, here's Buck Bowden cranking a cow call. You'll hear me say something. You guys getting it over your headset? Here's a factory produced cow call. So now. I think it's the end that does it, that separates it. What do you mean? Separates the men from the boys? Yeah. The bulls from the. No, there's something about the guttural quality of that fall off that's either real or us blowing out our noses like, mm-hmm. and mine is real bad and i can hear it be real bad but i think the difference is in that that last little section everybody can kind of make that tone but it's that that like exhale of whatever their exert exertion yeah <sighs> well here's the, the problem with it is this raise your hand there's six mugs sitting here for if radio ever, raise your hand yeah radio. raise your hand for radio if you have heard a cow, a cow moose call in the wild. I've heard them be pestered. I've heard bulls grunt in the wild. Yeah. On at least two occasions that I'm thinking of right now. I've never heard a cow. But Bowden, when I told him, rip me a cow call, he ripped a cow call. I started talking about this and that place I've learned. He says, well, that's just what I've heard cows do. And he's not a, he's not a bragging fella. So, yeah, I don't think it's a very complex sound. I think it's probably a, a sound that just really like, you know, it's a sound meant to carry. And my guess is that a bull isn't sitting there hearing it and being like, yeah, I don't buy it. Like an educated elk would or an educated turkey who's seen it only because I think that in the, especially in the area we just came out of, I don't think they hear a lot of calls. So we just came out of an area. We were 75 miles, 75 miles from a highway. Roughly. Central Alaska in the Alaska range. 75 miles from a highway. Just flew out this morning. We've been out there moose hunting. Um, 
Giannis Senior, tell, tell, uh, explain your big bull and what happened and all that. Particularly the part about how you conjured it. Oh well, I just visual. I've been visualizing this for a year though. It doesn't happen overnight. Oh, conjuring that is. You started conjuring it a year ago. Well, you can call it what you like. But you called it. You used the word manifesting. Manifesting, visualizing that I was going to be when I knew that I was going on this trip. Mm-hmm. To hunt with my son and to hunt with you, I just created this scenario where there would be this nice big bull to come in, and it did. But it's more than that because you told me where it would come and how big it would be. Well, Giannis had, and then that wound up being true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Giannis said that the area where we are that somebody had killed a bull before and it literally come up the drainage. And when I got there and saw the area, and I thought, well, this is just like what, you know, I'd been conjuring or thinking oh, like about. as you visualized that story yes. that you heard about the Correct. area, you created a mental picture. And That's so it worked right. with that those raw ingredients. Mental picture. The only difference was that I was above the bull. And in the picture, I had seen this bull coming in on flat land. But the bull was actually coming out of the drainage, and he literally, it, I was not expecting this bull. So we were walking down, and to the second, uh, we were on a higher bench. We had walked down to that first bench where you could see a little bit more of the base of the valley, but not entirely. And when uh, we kept moving around, and I can talk about cameramen, right? Yeah, hell yeah. Right. So... Uh, you know, Garrett's behind me, and we stop at one point and start talking about the area and how nice it looks, and wouldn't it be nice? And then literally, as we step down to the lowest bench, the third bench, we're there, and Garrett is behind me. And so you've I, been calling every 10 minutes. Yeah, I've been calling about every 10 minutes, just what you heard. And Garrett all of a sudden gives me one of these taps on the shoulder, and I go, shit, man, there's a effing bull coming right I mean he was probably well he was closer when I first saw him because then he moved away on the drainage so he was probably 75 when I first saw him and moved out to about 90 when I shot him so uh but why were you surprised to see him because I would feel that you would be like well here he is wait yes no ideally it's like I made him correct but like when my child was born right that's right I wasn't like whoa you know, I mean, I was, but I knew that it was coming. Right. Well, but it's just like when you have a good experience and you go like, yeah, but I didn't think it was going to be that good. I'm with you. So, yes, when I saw and, you know, you're, I'm only seeing the top of him, barely seeing the hump and the antlers. And when I dropped down, I mean, he was doing the old move <clears throat> side to side swaying. And I mean, he was hot. He was looking for that cow that had made that sound. Hit, hit the sound again? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, your, uh, your cow call. Oh. The real one. The one you use in the field. Now again? Yeah. I may not be able to do it again. Just rough approximation. The, the actual cow call you rip in the field. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, you no, no, like no. that. No, no, try it for real. Try it like you did now, in the field. You're messing with me because I know your call from the field and I don't know why you won't treat the listener. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I can't do it. I'm you can just only do it when you got to yeah, be in the mountain. Right, yeah. You got to be on the mountain. Besides, my nose, my nose is sore. My lips are part. Now, I've been doing it for a long, you know, wind chap. Yeah. Now, set the picture, too, because uh, a moose is at his shoulder. He's as tall as a person. Yes. And weighs yeah. like, even if you're a substantial size dude, he weigh, if you're a 200 pound dude, he still weighs like six of you laying there. Yes. This, that's what I'm saying. Big, so the surprise sons of to see this animal and literally off to my right below us. And then he disappears because there's some uh, brush, some of those uh, little dwarf uh, birch or willows that he's going through. Kind of picked the spot where I knew he was coming through, dropped down to my knee, you know, flipped up the scope covers, dropped one in the chamber Made sure that uh, defender scope covers. Uh, yes, I did. Yanni trick you out with some defenders. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Flipped them up. Shooting that nice savage. That's right. <laughs> Shooting uh, some really great uh, federal one eighties bear claws. Yeah, the little special tips on them. And you blouched him, or you blouched? Yeah, first shot. I mean. I made sure that Garrett was, you know, like, are you on this? He acknowledged that he was. And the first shot, it just, you know, made short of 90 yards right in the honeypot. And, you know, the bull kind of stopped, and they don't do the Statue of Liberty like elk do or sometimes or white tails, you know, where they kind of stand up on their hind legs. But you could tell this bull was hit and chambered another one. And uh, thought, hey, he's still moving a little forward. We don't want to chase this bull. We want to make sure he goes down exactly where he is. So we put another one, and he was actually dropping down a little bit, so that bullet came in. I'm sorry, he's going up more, so it came in a little bit lower than what I anticipated. But both both were killing shots. And we found the one bullet. Mm -hmm. So it was a perfect, I believe that was the first bullet, and then he ran behind some spruce, got woozy, and tipped right over. Uh, he didn't run. He didn't go five yards. From he, the second shot. Yeah, right. from the second shot. Yeah. And, I mean, it was just textbook, hunting, kill, everything. Yeah. The I only said, thing missing was Stephen Rinella coaching me at that point. So I wouldn't have had nothing to say. I would have just messed it up. Well. What I thought was missing was the suffering. Because it was, a, we had nine hunt days, ten hunt days, mm -hmm. and the whole point of the whole trip was to make me suffer. No, it was to get Giannis's dad a bull moose. Oh, okay. So we did that successfully. Yeah, then, then we had eight days left. Well, I just felt like it should have been like getting dark on the last day, and you're like crying. You who's know, who's crying? You're crying because like it didn't work out, and Austin is out of the fog, man. Yeah, well, blouch. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about the crying part. That's probably never. You're never going to see that. What did What did you think about all that? Yeah, cheering up my. Your dad eye. got a bull so easily. And what were you doing at the time while he was getting his bull? Making coffee. Were you really mm -hmm. at the top of the hill? At the glass. Yeah, because we were in a cold, windy spot. Been not like our spot. A couple hours. I'm sure not like the infamous <laughs> wind tunnel <laughs> that you guys were sitting in. Our calling station was called the wind tunnel. We didn't have a tunnel. We were just like in a chamber. 
wind change. Of wind. So you're up there making some coffee. What? How did you feel when the old man starts blouching down there? Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, my only, I don't want to call it a regret, but, like, what well, could have made it better for me that was would the have whole been point if, of the trip. If, if I would have been able to see it. Yeah, earlier I summed up the whole point of the trip. I missed a part. The whole point of the trip was that your father was going to get a bull moose with you. Yeah. And then you were Which we up, still kind of did. Yeah, you were up making coffee. <laughs> you was up making coffee. But he was coffee. close. I mean, he was, what, 100 yards? No, 150 yards up the hill. Yeah. So when, when you heard, bloach, bloach, what'd you think? Bull down. Did you really? You didn't think he was getting mauled by a grizz? No. I'll tell you something interesting. So we butchered the bull, which is no small task. Perfect weather for bull butchering. But um, we butchered the bull. Was it ne- the next day, I think, when the wolverine showed up? Mm-hmm. The next day or two days later, maybe? Next day. Yeah. So we go up to, yeah, there's a glass and tit where you can look down on where the... No, two days, because we went caribou hunting the next day. Yeah, That's you right. called up that. Then the oh. next day... Oh, yeah. I decided I want to go hunt with you a little bit. Before the, I get to the wolverine, I you want to talk tell, about the, right. how you double manifested. Yeah. He, yeah. This is where, see, I'm a very skeptical person. There's a famous quote that I often tell Giannis. Um, skepticism is the chastity of the mind. No, the chastity of the intellect. intellect. Skepticism is the chastity of the intellect. So, fellow tells me he's going to conjure up or he's going to manifest a bull. I, but my knee-jerk reaction is, is skepticism. Okay, that's interesting, but nevertheless, you're sitting on a chair that somebody conjured. Yeah, then had to make it. Oh, that's so right. what's the difference? No, that's a good point. What's the difference? It's if the I difference had, is. I, I don't, if I, 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 I could tell you, it would take me a while to think of it, and I don't want the listeners to get bored while I try to <laughs> articulate, while I try to conjure and then articulate why that's different. The, I can tell you the difference is you don't believe that you can do it, and you haven't worked on that skill set. But you know what your skill sets are, you know, conventional college education, a lot of hunting education, right? Mm. And you have a great deal of woodsmanship and knowledge. Nobody, I mean, you created all that, right? How did all that start? Where did that come from? You can call it conjuring. You can call it whatever you want. Manifesting. Manifest. It's the same thing. It's just that people don't realize what, and we do this every day. And what happens is we get stuck in our environments of Maybe perhaps you have a parent that says, well, you can't do this. Or, hey, if you don't become a doctor, you're no good, right? So you decide to be a woodsman and a writer. Well, you're no good, Steve, right? Yeah. And it, we are you know, kind of kept in line in that way. I think that if you understand that anybody has that capacity as a human being, and it's nothing special. I do see what you're saying. Is I'm kind of I'm coming around the way you're thinking, and I don't mean I don't want you to think I'm trivializing this shit because I'm not. It doesn't matter but to I, me because I've lived my life this way. But it matters to you some amount, or you wouldn't have just said you wouldn't have taken the energy to tell me that. You well, can't I'm trying take to energy. You can't take the energy to, to tell me it and then say it doesn't matter. Well, of course it matters because that's the way I live my life. Yes, but and I'm agree. I'm, I'm yeah. starting to see a point of what you're saying because you said that you had a vi- you had an image how this would work. You got there. You. You had this thing, and what do you need to do to make it work? Exactly. It wasn't going to work if you sat in your tent. That is correct. But you said, in order to make this work, I'm going to call. Right. I'm going to go look there. I'm going to go look there. I'm going to call. I'm going to look there and look there. I'm going to call. I'm going to look there and look there. And it had you needed to do it for 10 days or two days or one day. 
you were gonna. That's right. Yeah, I understand. Right. And and I'm and I'm pointing out because it's a little bit funny and also kind of interesting that that at the moment, ironic. You didn't know. That's correct. You didn't I did not know that your bowl was in root, but you had a bowl in root. That's right. And I was in the uh, uh, drainage. I was 0.6 miles away. I checked my Jeep. Correct. Uh, so I took a waypoint. I found a bowl. I have been calling at a call station, the wind tunnel. And I go over there, and there's a bowl, thrash and brush, 100 yards from where we were calling. And took a gander at him, kicked it around, bowl bed down, couldn't find it. Brody found it. Came and told me he found it. We went over and had a look at it. And I said, well, let's go grab Giannis's dad and see if he wants to Shoot put the moves on this bull. Yeah. No sooner did we just, like, I'm packing my bag. Two seconds. And we're even kicking around, like, should we leave our shit or grab our shit? Oh, let's take a waypoint, bring our shit with us. Blouch, blouch. Right. So you had, and, and, it's not like we had a ton of encounters. We saw some bulls, but I mean, these right. are close encounters. And you, you, you had manifested bulls up two parallel draws. Or I'll take credit for the one, but it was mysterious. Right. Do you remember the way you met your spouse? By the yeah, way, yeah, I tell you everything about it. Okay, I'm sure there was a bit of manifesting in that. Too. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know. I never manifested that I would like have a different girlfriend and then go to a business meeting in New York and meet a gal who grew up like an hour and 45 minutes from where I grew up in, this wasn't in my mind, but you know what? I did say this. I had already known her, but after me and my girlfriend, my last girlfriend broke up, I said at the end of that relationship, I said, from now on, I am only dating Michigan girls ever. Smart man. And then wound up, you yeah. know, having a, now I have a wonderful so wife. So you set the stage for, for it, yeah. And I'm sure if you looked at it more in detail, you would find more than just per chance. Yeah. Corey, what do you think about all this? No, I love this stuff. It's right up my alley, you know, visualization and something occurs that becomes a truth. Well, weren't we talking just on the last shoot about, like, the difference between imagination and a great idea? No. I think Corey and I were. You were, not, maybe, the, you were not the last shoot. I'm sorry, two shoots ago <laughs> in Nevada. Maybe it was Joe and I were talking about this. We were talking about how the fact is, is that, like, the same thing happens in your brain. Sometimes it works out, like, immediately or, or something resolves, and people go, damn, that was a great idea. If, if there is no resolve, people could just say, oh, they're just kind of imagining things. Or that's his imagination. And you can kind of write it off in that way. Does that make sense? No. It doesn't? No, what I, are you missing? I, I feel like it's I, the failures on my part. I just don't understand. Like, it's one and the same thing. It's just how it's perceived. Like, your brain doing the same thing. So if you see, yeah. You're you, having like an, an, an idea or something that just happens in your brain. So, uh, you, uh, okay, you're sitting there and you have an idea. Yeah, or I imagine something. You're like, man, whatever you want to call it. a beer that has like vanilla accents, for instance. Yes. Okay. Okay. And I go and make it. Okay. 
Okay, and it just happens that beer vanilla accents is a good thing. Doesn't sound good to me, but I, I come, pull that out of my I ass come back and you're like, "Damn, Johnny, great idea." Okay, or you could be like, "Man, that guy's just imagining things." When people say it that way, just say you're imagining things. It kind of puts it in this negative sort of connotation where it's just like this wild kind of like goofy thing that really didn't make much of anything. Where when they say, man, great idea, all of a sudden it's like put up on this pedestal. The same thing happened no, in your there's brain. there's a huge difference. I hear what you're saying, but there's a difference because you wouldn't say like, uh, let's say I'm like, oh, world peace, right? Now people say, imagine world peace. You can't say, I got an idea, world peace. Okay. Because it's, it, it exists at an imaginary level because it's almost like a hypothetical notion that's, that, that, that's kind of impossible. No one would say imagine. You could say like imagine beer with vanilla accents. You could just be like, I'm going to make beer with vanilla accents. But you can't go and make world peace. You have to imagine world peace. Not, or, world, not world peace, but world peace. Or World peace... You can make. So there is a big difference between an idea of something and imagining something. Right? I, well, th this is the funny thing. People that... This, this is... Introduce yourself, Rick. Uh, I'm Rick Smith. Rick A.K. Danger. Rick Danger. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rick okay. <laughs> Ranger Rick. Wait, Rick, you got a... Well, Ranger well, Rick, Slick uh, Rick, or Rick Danger. One, depending of, the whatever, one of the camera guys. Depending on whatever happened last. Um... <laughs> But people with wildly uh, unorthodox views are often kind of put in the crackpot arena. Yes. yes. Um, until they actually do something that makes them affects, makes, makes them visionaries. So most visionaries, once they have had their idea and implemented it, you know, in retrospect, it's like, oh, that guy was just like this budding genius. But at the time when he was an actual budding genius, everybody thought, that guy is just a weirdo thinking about some idea that nobody's thought about. Yeah. And imagining things. Imagining things. But some of them were crackpots. Like Hitler was a crackpot. Well, we're all, I mean, crackpot, if you put your idea into practice, might have some great effects, whether they be negative or yeah, posi if positive. He had won, if he had won, there'd be a segment of the population That's like, that would talk about him being like, you know, like true believers would say that he was a visionary. Right. You know, and you know, when Steve Jobs was cruising around, you know, at Reed College attending classes uh, for free, people were like, that guy is a weirdo. He's not paying for class. He's just sitting in. On, what, what is he doing with his life? Yeah. But once he, you know, is running a billion dollar empire, it's like, oh, Steve Jobs, the messiah of freaking technology. I just read a piece about the sculptor Michael Heiser. And he's one of the earth movers, you know, the guys do like large formation sculptures out on the earth uh, and also welding steel and making giant things that you can't put into a museum. Now, in this piece is talking about like his father was a archaeologist and he'd come from a ranch family and, and it was talking about his father. Uh, he was like a straight F student and a, and a terrible fuck up. And his father later came to him and said, I'm sorry. We just all thought you were a loser. <laughs> but he made it. Right. There's he no, became the visionary. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any, uh, I don't know. The, the idea that you could 
do well in school and that is predictive of your future success is uh there's a correlation hardly well. bullshit <laughs> I know you're what? saying there's hardly a correlation between doing well I guess we had I the, said that wrong we're, we're so way, uh, we're just so badly so we've cut this moose up now <laughs> yeah let's get back we to the cut moose. this moose up and the back came on a moose we explain the weight Yanni because it's a little bit complicated yeah well I think our pilot today who's handled many, many moose, and we were asking him about why they have to be deboned. And he said he doesn't really care about the bones themselves. It's the fact that you get a rear ham that weighs somewhere between 125 and 150 pounds, and you have to wield it in one big chunk. Yeah, so that's, that's why just- you have to debone it and then split it into two. They like 50-pound chunks. So every ham is, you know, 125 to 150 pounds. And that so- it was... Yeah, Long. this is cut off at the ball, skinned, cut off at the ball joint, and cut off at the set at the, what what we consider the knee. Mm-hmm. One hundred twenty five pounds. And by the way, I want to point a out what, what a badass you are, Steve, because you that is right walked one of those suckers all the way back up to camp, damn straight in a backpack. Do you say badass or dumbass? I said bad, <laughs> bad. Oh, I'm sorry. I, the dumbass word should go to Corey and I for doing it without a backpack. We tag teamed one of those just because. Yeah, they put it over their shoulder like they're carrying a piece of log and They're kind of doing like a Chinese dragon thing, you know, with like exactly. little legs just sticking out of the bottom and holding up the moose on their shoulders. Yeah, you're just not like the, the size of these things is hard to get across. So if you took the front shoulder, like a moose is highest, the highest spot on a moose is the, you know, the shoulders. It's not actually the shoulders, but it's backbone has that thing there. When you cut the, the front leg off and then cut it off at the knee, that son of a bitch comes up to your clavicles when you set it on the ground. It's like five feet, yeah. Huge. Big piece of meat. Anyway, Yanka, continue the story. Wait. No, he, he was, well, obviously because we weighed on one time at our scale. It maxed our 100-pound, 110-pound scale. Yeah, we had a 110-pound scale and maxed it. So cut this moose all up, and uh, you can't – yeah. You fly in this place we're flying. You're flying it on something called a super cub, and that, a super cub has the capacity to carry uh, four hundred, just under four hundred pounds. Three fifty is what they want on it. Three hundred fifty pounds max. Yeah, but they, they'll carry four hundred. So the way some air carriers, the way some air carriers will do it is they'll just take your body weight. So they'll say that you can put a, a grown person in there. Just it has to do with weight distribution. You put a grown person in there and his clothes and whatever he's got on him, and then. 50 additional pounds. So if you're going on a on a sheep hunt in a super cub to hunt doll sheep and land in the mountains, you might have it dictated to you by your bush pilot, your transporter, that you can only have 50 pounds of, you can only have a 50-pound backpack because that's what you're going to want to put into a super cub. Now, when you're flying, so when you're flying a moose quarter, so the moose quarter weighs 130 pounds, obviously the plane has the capacity to do it, but you got to get it in a little tight spot so they don't like to fly out bone meat. They they stipulate that you um, sorry they don't like to fly out bone in meat. And this air carrier that we were flying with makes you bone out your moose meat and have bags that weigh no more than fifty pounds per bag. And we had probably about thirteen, I think. Was it? No, I think you counted up sixteen or seventeen. Oh, wait, okay. Yeah, because we, we had separated more. Okay. The pilot, we, the pilot said five hundred pounds. 
is what they're flying out for a moose. So 500 pounds of boneless meat. Yeah. We wound up taking some of the marrow bones out on a later flight. Now, the pilot, one of the pilots told me a couple of interesting things. He, uh, his wife cooks, uh, when he killed the moose, he knew his wife. His wife uh, was brought up in, in, in native Alaskan culture. And they, she uses all the marrow. When he kills moose, he has to bring all the marrow bones home because she wants the marrow. He brings the nose home, and they take the whole nose of the moose, burn the hair off with a blowtorch, boil it till it gets soft, cut it in slices, and just put salt on it and eat it. And he knew that she liked the stomach. But they do cut the cartilage out of the nose. That's what he's saying? Yeah. He knew that she likes the stomach. So he went and, and took the stomach and washed it all out in a creek and brought the stomach home, and she was pissed. Because you don't want to wash it too well, because all the stomach you wash away all the stomach acids and things, and those stomach acids are what you use for lends cooking. it like the right texture and taste. Interesting. Yeah, I heard. I learned that this morning. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do? For your family this spring, you can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip. 
but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. So, to cut this moose up, and... Lo and behold, two days go by, and uh, we go over there, and uh, shitloads of ravens hanging around. And we look, and there's a wolverine scavenging the carcass. And the wolverine has a hoof, a uh, hoof from the knee down, which is a substantial chunk of thing. And he's dragging it, and he's getting dive-bombed by ravens. And then... Uh, would stop what he was doing now and then to kind of like hiss at and, and kind of challenge the Ravens and then drug his hoof over the hill. We started making plans to uh, get the Wolverine and put a tag on him and the Wolverine never turned up again. But we had hiked this meat up, bone-in meat up to the airstrip and boned it there. And over the course of the night, the moose dragged off Two whole back boned out legs. The Wolverine. No, you mean the Wolverine. So what did I say? Moose. No, he didn't do it. He was dead. <laughs> the Wolverine then dragged all that stuff off, going to cash it somewhere. When we were fixing to kill the Wolverine, Rick got sensitive. Very. And we realized that Rick has a do not, he has a special animal list in his mind. Can you speak to this? Yeah, I mean, I, I giant mean, giant ant eaters yeah. are on the list. <laughs> they're on, the, they're on there, especially if they're carrying a baby on their back. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, why is the Wolverine? Uh, I, I understand. Which, I just want you to tell yeah, me why. I, I mean, th- for me, the idea of eating Wolverine while possible does not seem practical. Um, I mean, it's you like hit, a lot of death for a little meat. Yeah, a lot of death for a little meat. Okay. And it's a symbol of uh, of wildness in a way that very few critters are. I mean, they just their ranges are pretty large. Uh, but I understand why you would want to kill a wolverine. They have the coolest friggin'. But but his fur. range isn't as big as a caribou. That's true. Okay. So why was it okay to kill? Why is a caribou yeah, not but the no density, kill list? Well, yeah. I mean, it's because, not range. Don't tell me it's range because it's not range. Yeah, but he's the only he's the only one in his range. There might be a couple, but how rare the are terms they? Of so, den- the terms of density and abundance, where they are on the trophic scale, there's the, there's this friggin' glacial weasel. I mean, they they evolved to deal with super cool. They're and just like the caribou. I like the caribou too, but I I like I think I, I would like eating the caribou better than the wolverine. 
You so, did. So in a way, it has to do with, and I know because I have things that I don't like to, things that I've eaten that I wouldn't want to go get myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but when you look at a at a at a Wolverine, yeah, it's that. Um, is it fair to say that you value him more alive than dead? Yeah, I mean, I see him kind of like us. Like, he's cruising around looking for his meal in a way that we are, and I put him on our level in a way that I don't put the caribou or the moose, if that makes sense. Okay, would you put a pine martin? I like pine martins, too. (laughs) As much as a wolverine? They're pretty badass, yeah. Okay, a monkey? Yep, monkey. More or less? If, uh, if we had a monkey and a wolverine standing there, and I said, Rick, I'm going to shoot one of them. What you kind pick. Of, what kind of monkey? Orangutan. No, not a great Ca- Capuchin? <laughs> no, a tailed monkey. Not a great ape. Like a capuchin. White, white-faced capuchin. I've seen those. Yeah, they're they're relatively abundant. Red howler. Mean little fuckers. Capuchins. We no, t- red, take out, take out the capuchin. A wolverine and a red howler. Uh, that's the kind I at. The howler? Yeah. How was it? Yeah, you know, I said it a thousand times, but it tastes like if you took a steel cable and put liquid smoke on it. Oh yeah, that yeah. bad. I, I it's hear just it. like a dry. I mean, they smoke the bejeebus yeah. out of this thing. What do you think it tastes like? I don't know. I've eaten beluga. Smoke turkey, so. turkey, smoke turkey drumstick. Yeah, smoke turkey drumstick. I mean, I've eaten beluga, which I think is worse than eating a wolverine in some ways. So if I had a red holler monkey, a beluga <laughs> whale, and a wolverine, and I said, "Rick, I'm killing one of them," and you're eating it. Oh man! You would tell me to shoot the. Oh, the I think the one I like the least is the howler. Okay. So if I if you had a whale, <laughs> but that's a, the closest. A whale, a wolverine, and a monkey. Yeah, you would say shoot the monkey. That's a great game. I feel like I feel like the listeners need to chime in and send in their their answer. <laughs> <laughs> I would shoot the wolverine. Yeah, a whale, a monkey, and a wolverine. <laughs> I know, I know, and that's probably Walked that's, that's a, a good bar. answer. I think that's a good answer. I mean, the coolest thing about a Wolverine is, I mean, they're friggin'. You weren't totally no, anti shooting no, a Wolverine. No, I no, wasn't. No, he warmed he up had, to the yeah. idea. No, I. I'll point out we never shot the Wolverine. No, we, d- we definitely did not. And I understand this as a, hu- like a human. Like when I, the new iPhone comes out, I want one. Okay. That's how I feel about a, a Wolverine hide. <laughs> like I just kind of want it. Like in a. You want the claws. Yeah, in yeah. A ca- you in want a, to take possession of it. I want to take possession of it. And I think that. Desire is problematic a little bit. Yeah, it's like it's part of like consuming culture kind of thing. Like I want to, I want to have it. I want to put it on my jacket because they're cool. cool, It's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You'd know. But even if you lived, like, if you were the last person alive on Earth, Mm -hmm. okay. So you're the last person alive on the planet. And when I put this out, I'm just saying there is no. There's no more checking things against your peers. There's no more any sort of judgment. Like, judgment is gone. There yeah. is no judgment yeah. left on the planet. Yeah. So your own judgment of yourself. Right. I feel that in that situation, you would kill the Wolverine right off the bat. Because I want it. Yeah. Because you didn't want to kill the Wolverine, I think, because it had something to do with your perceived, the perceived judgment. I'm. I, there is. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the last man on Earth 
would want that thing? He'd be like, she looks warm. Yeah, there's something desirable about it for sure. But I don't need it. I got uh, some oil-based material that does pretty good, and and those poor geese provide amazing no, insulation. I, yeah, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to put holes in your thing because no. here's my feeling about it. I don't want to kill the wolverine because I, I have said for many years that there's one animal, like outside of a polar bear, there's one sort of animal in the you know the 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 large North American critters, land critters that I hadn't laid eyes on, and it was him. And there I was, and there he was, and I got to see him. And I said to Giannis, I don't want to shoot the first Wolverine I ever saw. I didn't want to shoot the first Lynx I ever saw. Yeah, I think that's a good... Because it's like, but it, I'm like... How about if another one popped over the hill, just like... I would feel different about the second one. Because I felt like I didn't have a personal, the personal level of context yeah. with the thing where I didn't have that predatory feel. I was like, Wow. And I know that the best material for trimming out a parka Wolverine. is Wolverine. Damn straight. Frost, frost free. And stuff, it doesn't frost up. It doesn't frost up. So if you saw that Wolverine the next day, you wouldn't have went after it. Oh, because it would still would have been the same one? Yeah. I would have rather someone else went after it. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll point out to listeners, um, uh, if you're a non-resident hunting in Alaska – it depends on what unit you're in. The unit we were in, um, you're allowed one Wolverine per season. So we're not going out on a limb here. You're allowed 10. In this unit we're in, you're allowed 10 wolves. 10 wolves, right. One Wolverine. Right. One Wolverine per season. Yeah. So we're not talking about something. No, yeah, this is like by the books sort of sort of thing. September and 1, I would, to, Mar- September and 1 to March 31st. If you, wanted, if you did want to kill that Wolverine, I would have been like... Sweet week. Yeah, give me give me part of it. He, he didn't want the claws. But yeah, most folks without a little bit of education would probably think that the Wolverines, well, I guess they are in a pr- kind of similar situation as the grizzly bear. Like in the lower 48, there's not a lot of them. Yeah. yeah like 40 or something like that. They're also like, you often hear the term symbol of or icon of, and the Wolverine is one of those iconic wilderness northern animals. Yes. Oh yeah. State of Michigan or U- yeah, University of Michigan. Yeah. Well, well some people say Wolverine a Wolverine may have never stepped foot in Michigan. Did you know that? They just spotted one a couple a year or two ago, I think. They did. Yeah. That's the thing yeah, about I the lower forty eight versus Alaska, right? Lower forty eight we have all these like will like preserving wilderness in Alaska just is and wilderness. It just is wilderness. You there's don't a, have to even think about it. There's a yeah, much grizzly bears occupy like ninety percent of their range. Wolves occupy ninety some percent of their exactly. range. Exactly. It's and a people functioning have a much different view of grizzlies in the lower forty eight yeah. than they do up here. Yeah. Like very different. No, and you yeah. can kill a bunch of wolverines, you can kill wolves, you can kill grizzly bears in Alaska, and there's not any global effect to their populations. No, and they view the wolf as a nuisance. That's what. Well, yeah, to, to, in some areas to some degree. In the area we were hunting in, um, they get after wolves pretty hard because they're trying to they're, they're trying to assist a beleaguered herd of caribou right. in the area. So they tend to get after wolves pretty hard in that area. Right. Um, any your thoughts on this wolverine thing? Oh, it's cool to see. Yeah, I liked. I mean, it's pretty rare to to be able to. See a wolverine in person. Extremely rare. Yeah. One of our pilots today, 44 years in Alaska, I'm guessing, 
probably 20 or more of them flying. Never seen one. That dude's 44, young guy? No. Oh, one of the older guys? Yeah. Yeah, we all expected grizzlies to show up in camp. There was grizzly shit everywhere, and then, boom, a wolverine shows up right next to camp. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, one thing I want to make a little remark about, which some hunter I've done a lot of hunting out west, or significantly more than most Midwest hunters. And on occasion out west, you know, you'll be walking a big field or a meadow, and you'll come upon grizzly bear. Well, not grizzly bear, but just black bear shit. Here, when you're walking these meadows, every third step, there's a bear turd. <laughs> and some of them, like Brody, that one big pile. Big boar. I mean, this this is no kidding. I've got a normal-sized fist. This uh, ejection that came out of the bear was bigger than my like fist. Like bigger gauge. Bigger gauge now, than our, my our fist. Our good friend, uh, bear biologist, Carl Malcolm, said that there is a correlation and they use it in research there's a correlation between the gauge on a bear's shit and the size of the bear i man i would believe it i mean and but you're seeing a lot of you have to understand like you're seeing a ton of bear shit where you are because you're in the spot you're in the berry zone right and you get above the alder and dwarf birch enter the alpine but there's still a lot of good ground cover before you get into the bear rock and there's Mm -hmm. like a there's a band of Blueberry, exceptional and berry growth. Cranberry. And you happen to be also, yeah. you know, you tip, and when you're hunting, you spend a lot of time in that band because yeah. it's got good visibility, easy traveling. So you're in there where the bears are. And there's just a lot of bear shit there. So yeah. you know, it's like that little boy digging for that pony on that pile of. Did I tell you about that boy? I don't know, but it's an old story. It's like you know. My dad always told that story. Yeah. Well. No. So, like I haven't heard this. So my dad said. You say there's two kinds of people. Two boys, yeah. Okay. Now, well, no, my dad put it like this. He put it as a, a, a he, he put a socioeconomic spin on it. He said, you take a rich kid and put him in a room full of horse shit, and he's just going to cry. You take a poor kid and put him in a room full of horse shit, and you're open up, and he's going to be digging. Because you'd be like, with all this horse shit, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the same theory that I'm applying to the bear shit. He's there somewhere. Yeah. There's got to be bear somewhere. <laughs> you guys have never heard that? No. No, that's a good that's, one. I was quite happy to yeah. see four bears two miles away. That was fun yeah, watching the, them. That grizzly oh, yeah. mama with the f- three cubs. Yeah. We saw a sow with two and a sow with three. Right. And that, the, the blonde, she, that was awesome. She was as almost white. Right, Yanni? Mm-hmm. Just Without beautiful. looking like a polar bear. Yeah. yeah. yeah tell tell us your whole caribou story. I mean, right oh. down to the... Brass to Everything. Yep. How we got there, they were all over the place, dicking around. There I was. We were looking for where the monster across the way. Rick, what do you do? What do you, what's so important on your phone there? Uh, nothing. <laughs> girl, I figured, he, I figured he was just researching the numb ace ring. I'm single these days, you know. Oh, he, oh, he was. Want, is there anything we can do to help you out there? Uh, you number uh, out, here you go, Rick. He asked for oh, it. Do you want me to put in a plug for you on this podcast? Do you have like a little website or anything? Definitely not. <laughs> can people visit you on a, maybe, maybe, maybe Instagram? The, I'll, I'll just say this: the right type of girls. Difficult listening. guy to find because of his last name. Yeah. 
You got an Instagram account that we can add? Rick, Rick Smith Media. Yeah, so go dig up, try to find Rick Smith on Facebook. What is it? How many Rick Smith yeah, millions on the planet? So, anyways, Bozeman, Rick Smith Bozeman. Fellow named Rick Smith Bozeman. Now, let me just put it out there. How old are you? 36. 36. Gainfully employed. Freelance right. lifestyle. Works on interesting projects. Rick recently, uh, as discussed on a previous podcast, Rick will sometimes go into a. Uh, He'll, he'll get a shot list and go out and just observe wild animals and film behaviors. That's interesting dinner conversation, right? That's not lacking. Um, uh, very bright guy, well-educated. Do you, you own a house, Rick? I don't. Doesn't own a house, but, but he were, might someday. Were, he's looking. He's looking. He's, he's looking. on Bear a Survivor I was, Show. I was a reality a, TV. Reality TV star. Participant. Yeah. Reality TV participant. And he made it. Survi- I Survived. Survived. And uh, and is not married. No, nope. no major commitments. No. Nope. So there you have it, ladies. Uh, Rick wow. Smith, Bowles, Montana. I'll let you know on the next podcast what comes to fruition out of this. You got a lot of female listeners of this no. podcast. No, <laughs> but uh, what I picture is there's some dude listening and is with his wife and she's like overhearing. Oh yeah, that's a good well, no, point. Not his wife, his sister. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, that ain't gonna happen. But his sister is overhearing. Yeah. Or like his cousin. Yeah. Oh, no, that could work, though, because his wife could be like, oh, we should set him up with yeah. my friend, yeah. so-and-so. We should call Deb and tell her to call this guy. Oh, boy. Uh, so that, if, uh, if, can, is, can a gal go, like, move in with you? Or do you want a gal who's already in that town with her own place? Uh, my current place would be a little tight. So what radius are you looking at here? I don't. I don't She's have out in four corners. Is that too far? I don't have a lot of restrictions. Lifestyle, yeah, lifestyle Livingston. I mean, yeah. You, I don't. Oh, I think with the right gal, Rick would import her from yeah, Palm import. Beach, New York. Yeah, doesn't but matter. let's say if you're no. from like Butte, what are you looking for, Rick? Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't put a lot of. I don't put a lot of stock in. Rick's not a judger. He told me that. I'm not a judger. Yeah. He has no opinion about promiscuity. <laughs> that, was, that was an example of a psych profile question that I had to take for a reality Rick show. Rick was giving me a lesson. <laughs> and I said oh, neutral. Yeah, Rick was giving me a lesson about how to pass a psychological profile test. No, that's. And you claim neutrality on things. <laughs> I, I claim neutrality on that one. Uh, yeah. You know. So, good guy. I just want to help you out there. That's good. You got some. You got some followers out yeah. there in and podcast they're, land. They're all men. Yeah, they're dudes. They're all men. But they have uh, cousins, sisters. So, Yanni, tell your character story. <laughs> Why did we start talking about Rick's love life? I don't know. Because I mentioned the fact that he was on a reality show. No, uh, you asked if he wanted. No, you asked if he wanted it to was, be promoted. We were about to get the play-by-play of this friggin'. Yeah, then somehow hunt. I got concerned I, about your love life. Oh, I was on my phone. Oh, you were messing around. I thought you were on one of those dating websites. Nope. Oh. Nope, just texting. <laughs> okay. Stop doing that. Stop doing that because... Trying to make the most of my time here in Alaska. I know, but it makes me really uncomfortable, man. It makes me feel like you're not engaged. That's, make, that's and, a good point. Yeah. No, that's really, true. It's really hurting my feelings. All right. Yanni, tell, tell the character story. Rick's, Rick's dying to hear it. Rick's attentive. Look at him Look over at here him. now. I just want to hear... <laughs> I want to hear... <laughs> I want to hear about the camera cameraman's role in this hunt, too. We got to start from the beginning. Yeah. We land day one. <laughs> we, you see three caribou. First thing I, I did, see, I, I didn't step even... off the plane, throw up my knockers, and I see three grizzlies and three caribou. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Explain that. Throw your what up? My knockers. Bino, bino, oh. binocular. Okay. So I, I always call them binos. I call them knockers. Well, when I grew up, knockers were something else. That They still are. Okay. But I keep my knockers right there at that part of my body. And when I see a fella and I like his knockers, I'll be like, nice knockers, bro. Okay. <laughs> And I just call my knockers. <laughs> You've never said that. <laughs> he just thought so it, that was day one. I didn't. I didn't see those three. I think the next day, I glassed up six bulls, but we were moose hunting. Yeah, and we we're like thinking there's going to be more caribou. And they're they're moving. We later heard we're moving northward. Yeah. Definitely. The way the what these bulls did that day. Is we spotted them fairly early, and they actually ended up bedding in this big valley for quite a while, and then feeding, and they never left sight before dark. So they actually could have been bulls we could have caught could up have gone to. After. Yeah, that day I think I saw yeah one bull that was tricked out. He was already getting his his he was already getting his winter pelage, big white mane, big white feet, clean antlered. Big son of a bitch, and he had five or six cows with him. Yeah, out of the six I saw, half looked like that. Half we're tricked out, yeah. like all Fabio'd out. Yeah. So we were pretty, <laughs> we were pretty confident that we we're going to see more caribou. We had been told we were probably hunting stragglers, but at that point we've been seeing caribou every day. So my dad kills a bull moose. The next day we go caribou hunting, and did we go up there two days? One day, two. Two. Two days we go up on the eight hours on a tip. Yeah. Sit all day. Do not see a single caribou. Any direction. I didn't see any. Then I said, I'm gonna go bull moose hunting with Steve. Just because we wanted to hunt together. Dad was getting a little tuckered out from my we were missing days. Didn't more days go on? We yeah, there were. Because yeah, I, spent I spotted another day up there. I spotted two the one night. We were in the wind we, tunnel while they were we crossed the valley there. We spent a, you days. spent a whole other day up there, and then it got rained out. Yeah. Oh, well, we might have done three up there. One partial to... Anyhow, a commanding view. A commanding view. Yeah. And see nothing. Not hiding I mean head. nothing. Void of game. And so we go moose hunting. We're calling, calling, chatting it up. And uh, we actually get to talking about uh, writing workshops. Writing workshops. Mm. <laughs> you're it's true. True you're story. You're dissuading me of uh, spending my money <laughs> on a writing workshop. And I just happened to look over my shoulder, and there, as someone had manifested a single bull caribou on the horizon, plain as like day. Like he's on a on a on, he's like on a beer commercial. Yeah. Yeah, like a bull skyline on top of a high mountain. No, it would be it'd be a <laughs> shot that photographers get a little chubby for. How many chubbies? <laughs> we have a little list going. We got a list shots. Of, the outdoor the shots that outdoor photographers get a chubby about. Yeah, but it was a distant shot. He was not close. No, he's probably a mile. He's a speck on the long lens. But still, it's like this beautiful mountain scene and a silhouetted caribou. I mean, from the hooves. All the way up. Like he went up there and said, see those fellas down here? I'm going to stand here and watch the look on their face when they see my ass. That's right. That's what he was positioned like. Yeah. yeah. So we make a quick plan and 
pack up our backpacks and we who? Oh, the, we had yeah, a the whole, whole pile. Whole we had six of us there. Man, yeah. yeah. Cameras bouncing every which way. Yeah. We just we took the lead. I didn't get to see, I guess, any of the action. Everybody was talking about how funny it looked, I guess, in the back. You were saying how funny Rick looked. Well, we Corey were was running saying, with forty five pound packs yeah, we, for we're, one we're mile. We're trying to get a, we're trying to send a bunch of ladies his way and he talk about how he looks funny running. With a 45-pound pack, oh. one mile up the tundra that's a foot deep. I thought he looked sexy. He stayed with the honest man. You were right on I him. I thought he looked unbelievably was, sexy running. Yeah, I didn't want to run faster than you. I just point, made him Steve, feel bad. Yeah, that's right. And at one point, Steve commented on how we were kind of out of order for a good production. Like, we might not be getting that's the true. right camera angles. And Rick should be closer to me. And Rick was like, hey, bud, I got no problem. If I need to be on his heels, I'll be there. And I trust Rick that he could do that because... He's so, he's so sexy. Yes. But then you and Steve kind of split off it was a, at one point. We did? Yeah. I mean, you were. No, this is not normal TV production. No. no. We had to catch him. Carib was one of the few things you could run after. At high elevation. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's back up that box. Just a general caribou hunt. When I spent a little bit of time caribou hunting, uh, we would go and get on a big high knob. Or a big high tit, and just wait, and and why? Because they're always moving. Like you seldom watch. They, they don't just like rarely does a caribou just stay someplace to stay there all day long. They just are drifting, and we would sit out there, and you'd have to catch them where you you're always like calculating. Like if we started hauling ass now, we, we'd be able to intercept them somewhere. If you caught one going away from you, you can't catch them. You know, he's like a mile out. You're not going to overtake a grazing caribou. They're just like moving. Um, we used to see the most of them when, if we were hunting in August, early September. And if there was a wind, if it was breezy, you would not see caribou. You wouldn't see many caribou. Then the wind would die. And the minute the wind died, the hordes of mosquitoes and white socks and black flies would rise up out of the tundra and start mauling you and you'd put your mesh gloves on and you'd put your bug net on your head and then you'd start seeing shitloads of caribou because the bugs would bother the caribou so bad that it would make the caribou get up and start moving and they would settle into these little draws and stuff to feed and then when it got buggy they'd just start hauling ass because they wanted to get away from the bugs and you're always like trying to gauge where you could catch them. We started off after Yanni's caribou, kind of not really. We thought we were being, that we were going to go and way head him off and then actually go toward him. Yeah. But by the time we got there, we way missed the mark. Way missed him. And we were saved by the gregarious nature of caribou. Yeah, he was on his own, going to just feed, walk, do the caribou, caribou thing across the bottom of a valley and up the other side and disappear over the ridge. And as he's cresting the ridge and he's on the horizon again. Gone. 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 Alive. I mean, 10 more, ten more, <laughs> ten more steps, and yeah, he would not be in our bellies at this point. He happens to look over his shoulder and see six mugs and cameras and dudes throwing their packs down and getting ready to shoot and he's like oh what's that my friends yeah he's like hey there's some other caribou <laughs> and he yeah. was a young bull so he's probably that much more curious i've seen i've seen them all yeah it's just a thing they do man 
It's like when you see them, the best thing you do is just get down. Let them see it and get down, and they just they just don't want to rule out. They they don't want to like they have a herd mentality. Yeah. And I don't know why I even thought about it because I don't think I've ever heard about it. Is it like a thing that dudes do caribou hunting with the white flag? I know it from antelope. My, my, right. Yeah, antelope hunting. It can work. I've seen it work well. Yeah. So we tried that with a game bag. It may have worked. Brody picked up a drop antler, which are littering the ground around there. He picked up a drop antler and waved it. The way he didn't want to leave. No, then I he like- caught our wind, and then that changed his mind about it in a hurry. But I like the fact that he was all alone. He he was missing he was missing out on the whole days behind everybody else. Oh yeah, All, he was looking for his friends. You know what and the pilot like, told me. He, um, the, I, I told that about. The, I told we the ended pilot his misery. He said it's a little bit unusual. You know, he's he lived his whole life here flying here. He says a little bit unusual that you would see a bull traveling with no known other caribou in the area. But he said that in his experience, um, it, it's. Coming from his set of experiences, it's frustrating for him to watch nature documentaries where they are saying like, oh, the caribou are migrating to X place. This time of year, they go this direction and they all go there and they all know to go there. He said that he says they, that herd has many places they wind up. Some years they're up in the White Mountain Range north of Fairbanks, the same herd hundreds of miles away. Some years they go in an entirely different direction. Some years for days they're going north. You're like, oh, they're going north. And then all of a sudden for days they're going back south. Or one side of the river there's a bunch of caribou going east. That's sort of new. The other side of the river there's a bunch of caribou going west. And he said it's like, he says he has seen many times where a band of caribou will hole up on one of those mountains where we were, get on the windblown side and spend the whole damn year there. Really? So he was saying, yeah, it's unusual that you saw one run around by yourself until you consider that there's no, like, absolute. There's sort of, like, these general things. But within that, he said there's so much willy-nilly behavior and, and things sort of bucking the trend. He said it's a little bit, like, when he, he said when people speak in absolutes about caribou movements, it's a little frustrating. But they do migrate. Yeah. But he was saying that, like, to be like, oh, they all went north he said it just isn't no never. it's like narrative simplicity right yeah. you like you have a documentary that needs to be like okay we're talking about caribou migration we can't talk about all these yeah. places they're going we don't have time we gotta they're going one place yeah so you're saying it could be that i'll fly somewhere and every day all winter i see there's one bull that for whatever reason decided to just make it stand yana shot the anomaly bull yeah but he was heading out he was heading somewhere so- Tough he was heading north. He was going the same direction as everybody else we had seen. I was hunting one time on the north slope of the Brooks Range, right ahead of the rut. And I remember it was we were out there first week in October. I killed one on October 9. And at that time of year, it's, it's like the rut's coming on. And everybody says, those caribou there, all, not all, there I go. Those caribou that are on the north slope of the Brooks Range tend to winter on the south slope of the Brooks Range, where they go down to the Taiga Forest and winter down there. And they calve out on the coastal plain because there's more wind and you can get away from the bugs and there's good food. Now, we were waiting and we're convinced that all the caribou had left the coastal plain and gone over the range because we weren't seeing shit. 
And then one day, here comes from miles off. I can't remember what it was, nine or ten bulls. Just like a laser headed toward the coastal plain. So, going the wrong direction, the quote wrong direction. I, but they moved so much that they could cor- they could correct and be you know the next day turn around and recover all the ground. But it is, I mean, you do get in your head where you want to see these these certain things. Uh, also, something we discussed. Yeah, they, they said that uh, those moose do winter there. Yeah, they do. He said they particularly oh. like those draws, those willow choked draws that lead down to the main drainage he said they'll move once the snow starts piling up they'll move up into those kind of like right below where we gutted out yanni's caribou butchered yanni's caribou mm-hmm. that head high willow he says they like that stuff a lot for winter time it's great walking through mm-hmm. no, it's that's fun to walk through mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> running through i just <laughs> want to go back to one thing about these camera guys well, how can Yanni fix? I, I, oh, I got, I got such an epic interruption going on right now. We got to get sorry. back to right. Yanni's. Own. Finish your story, young. Yeah. He he's at like probably five hundred as he's about to go over the horizon, right? I think that's what you were yelling numbers. But he sees us. He comes back towards us and gets, I think, all the way, maybe even under three hundred, yeah. right? Two ninety, I heard something like that. But he's facing us the whole time. The wind's kind of blowing. I'm just not a huge, like, frontal guy shot, especially when I'm, like, thinking meat. Yeah, Yanni was practicing excellent restraint because he was going to let the caribou get away rather than hit it in the front. Yeah. And I, and I, I will not lie. It, this makes me kind of like a the trophy hunter or whatever. Had it been just, like, the gargantuan, like, monster bull with just points coming off every direction, I would have taken that shot. Really? Yeah. So were you not shooting? Like on a shot placement argument, were you not shooting the frontal facing you because you're worried about meat wastage or because you're worried about having a greatly diminished kill zone and getting a clean kill? Both. In such a whipping, it was, it, was brisk, it was brisk wind. Yeah, both. Which one was more? I don't know. I mean, it's one of the same, really. Wasting meat and crippling a critter is not the same thing. Well, I mean, still like a huge negative, both okay. of them, right. you know? Right. So you're practicing incredible restraint. Bad ethics. He was practicing good ethics. Right, no, yeah. but bad, bad ethics. Bad ethics to take weird shots. Yeah. yeah. Big antlers would have caused me to make a maybe take a, a little bit more questionable shot, possibly lose some meat, possibly not have quite as, you know, the high percentage for a quality kill. Do I feel like I could have made that shot? Sure. But on that bull, I was like not. I was like very able to like just be calm and be like, "I'm gonna get the right shot. Wait really? for it." You knew it was gonna happen. You were just gonna let him walk. Well, it was very. I'll continue my story. He got down to like two ninety five or whatever, and he's like coming. He's coming. He's coming. And I thought he was almost. I was like, man, he's just gonna walk into our laps, and it'll be a real gimme. And then all of a sudden, his nose picked up, and he got our wind, and he was again. Heading out. It looked like he got hit by a car when that wind hit him. Yeah. So you're in the bottom of the valley? Yeah. Bottom of the drainage. And instead of heading right back towards the horizon, he kind of just heads back in like a side. He's traversing the side of the hill instead of going, you know, just back right up towards the horizon where he could have quickly, you know, had he gone the same distance towards the horizon, he would have disappeared. But he went across the hillside and, uh, you gave him a couple of hoots and hollers. 
He didn't stop. I feel yeah, like I, that was that that trick didn't he didn't care about that trick. Yeah. But I gave him a, I gave him my my You tried to bugle at him? Yeah, I bugled at him. My whistle bugle. <laughs> He's like, hey, my distant cousin. And he the stopped elk. and he turned broadside and you said, I don't know what you said, four oh something. I remember hearing four oh and I was like, okay, I, I got this. I knew that my second hash down was roughly four hundred yards. So I held right on and shot broke clean. Blouch. Yeah. Blouch. That was it. Went through both Blouch. both longs. And he ran down into a little fold in the land mm-hmm. and disappeared. We, we I thought him. you missed because I saw what I thought I saw was a poof of powdered rock. Right. But now I don't know if I, I might have just seen some hair come up. Because I heard the thump. Like when you get a good hit on an animal, it sounds like a, hitting a pumpkin, like hitting a watermelon. It's unmistakable. Yeah, I've heard it described as like a baseball bat to a wet towel that's hanging. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, punching a pumpkin, hitting a wet towel, a baseball bat. Just like a – no, not like that. Like a – is that good? It's like a whap. Sort of a whap. Whap. Deeper. Yeah. There you go. No, it's like <laughs> – I heard that. Uh, and then we went over there, and he was, you'd, you'd double lunged him. Mm-hmm. Missed the heart. We got to keep the heart. Very windy and cold. And we uh, dug it, drug it down a hill, and then, and then proceeded to butcher it up. And his liver, we were having a conversation about liver. I had just had some very good deer liver hunting down in southeast. And, uh, was kind of excited to replicate that meal with this liver, and I, and the liver's full of spots. Now, in kosher slaughter, which is called, um, okay, if you're an observ, if you're an observant Jew, you would you eat kosher food. Non-kosher food, I think, is is it glad? Anyway, one of the things you do during the kosher slaughter process is you inspect the animal's organs because God said in the Old Testament, God says, don't eat carrion, okay? Um, I mean, don't eat, dead, don't eat animals you find laying around dead. Now, you don't know why I said that. Good so it's idea. Not for you to like, it's not for you to say like, oh, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to get sick. You don't know why he said it. But don't eat dead animals you see laying around. So to be extra careful, because a lot of that, the, like the interpretation, a lot of the rules is to be like, if he says something, like God said, don't shave the corners of your face in the Old Testament. Now, ultra-observant Jews will, will grow out the sideburns. Because they're like, well, I don't know where the corner of your face ends and your hair begins. So to play it ultra-safe and to be extra careful, to be observant of the law, I'll grow out this long thing. So God says, don't eat carrion. They would say, well, then you better not eat a wounded animal. Don't eat an animal that's damaged to be Mm. extra careful. So when you do kosher slaughter, you inspect the organs to to look and make sure there's no evidence of illness in that animal because you're being extra careful to follow God's word. Now, that's not why I was inspecting his liver, but I happened FDA, to be inspecting, man. But I, but I happened to be inspecting his liver. Pre-FDA. And it had large white spots on it. Yeah, this way predates the FDA. 
or USDA. But that's actually USDA. USDA. Yeah. So I happen to be inspecting his liver. Notice some large white spots on it. Yanni tries to tell me it's from laying in the creek. Well, it was just funny that we hadn't noticed it when we, or I hadn't noticed it when I cut it out and then went and put it in the creek and we talked about leaving it in the creek to wash it off a little yeah. bit. Because my mom, when I was a kid, I had iron poor blood and I used to eat a lot of liver. And my mom would take deer liver and soak, cut the deer liver up and soak it in lemon water to draw the blood out. And you, people soak it in milk or water, various things to draw the blood out. And when you throw a, you throw a liver in a creek, I mean, it changes color. Yeah. Quickly. Um, so Yanni threw it in this cold-ass creek, and we pulled it out, and it had these things in it. Who was it that did a biopsy on that liver? We cut it open. Yeah, the senior did, knew about it, though. I yeah. thought it was some fatty I, deposits. Or no, something. It's a, You've seen a, it before, though. Yeah, I'd seen it before in Michigan. They're about deer, the size of a pea. It is a big-ass yeah. parasite in there, now, I don't recall what it was, but that's what I recall. The, the DNR Michigan biologist telling me it was some kind of a parasite. He said, don't eat it. It's real waxy. Yeah. What are you doing on your phone, Rick? I'm looking up fatty liver, which that's what I think it is. I don't think it's a parasite. Rick feels as though, and we cut, we did a biopsy on it. You pull out a thing the size of a pea with an encase. It's got a case, and you pull it out, and it is just like a waxy fat inside there, whether it's a parasite or not. So we, uh, we discarded the liver. Would animals get? I mean, humans do because they eat the wrong diet. Would that animal get that? It wouldn't occur in that way. Yeah. It occurs just like he'd have like a lot of abdominal. He'd have like a lot of fat in his abdominal cavity, like kidney fat. He's not going to wind up with balls of fat, Rick. Well, yeah, maybe that's that's what I'm looking at. But it didn't look like a larva either. It might have been an egg or something. Whatever the hell it was. It was good to eat. Not the liver. We ditched the liver. And then this morning, talk. Yeah, see, who wants to talk, who wants to explain this morning's meal? But Yanni, because he well, he already got to explain a bunch of stuff. Well, I watched you, Master Chef and Hunter. That's right. Prepare a uh, extraordinary meal. Uh, the primary uh, entree was bone marrow. We took and cut, sawed up the uh, mooses. Shins. Front, yeah, shins, and cooked those on a pan. I went and collected some berries. What kind? You picked three kinds. Blueberries, huckleberries, and cranberries, right? No. What was the third one? You picked blueberries, crowberries, oh, crowberries. and cranberries. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then you reduced those down, added... I'm sorry, you took a little bit of the fat out of the bone marrow, puffed the, reduced, heated that, reduced it down, added it to the blueberries to make a blueberry, blueberry reduction, yeah, like blueberry a sauce, fat reduction. fat reduction, like a sauce. And then we also took a mushroom that you had. Rough-stemmed bleat. Rough-stemmed bleat. bleat. Thank you which I at first didn't think had any taste to it. But by the <laughs> third one, that no, because the flavor just kind of comes through. You know, it grows on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we had that sautéed in a pan, and then we also had uh, the uh, tenderloin, which was grilled on an open flame fire. And you sort of made like a little 
I'm sure there's a French word for it, hors d'oeuvre stacked up with the tenderloin on the bottom. The caribou. The, I'm sorry, caribou, yeah. The ten, tenderloin and then the bone marrow and then the mushroom on the side with the little sauce covering it all. And you served it on a uh, uh, a moose dropping, not dropping. No. <laughs> Shoulder blade. Yeah. Shoulder blade. No, I thought we put it on the... Scapula. Oh, we did put it on scapula. Oh, we didn't use the shed antler because I, I don't the want shed to antler. shit it all up with blueberry right, sauce. Yeah, I want okay. to keep it, yeah. Yeah, so we put it on the bone of the sh- scapula of the moose, and that was very impressive for an in-field, and it all tasted excellent. So for those of you who have never had any uh, bone marrow, you got to do it. No, but you had eaten bone marrow. Oh, yeah, I've done it with venison, thanks to you and Hank Shaw. So it's not a la- it's not a. Uh, no, and I'm, sh- and I'm sure I could find a Latvian recipe for it, because I would think most European... Uh, yeah. Countries do that. So I got great- turned on to bone marrow in a French restaurant in San Francisco, and I, I ordered that bone. I remember sitting there and saw it. I was like, I can't. This is, this is many, many years ago. I think this is. You know, I'll tell you what year it was. It was two thousand three or two thousand four. And sitting there, and uh, it was two thousand three. And I see bone marrow. I'm like, I just didn't understand what they meant. And I order it, and it's discs of femur, yeah, cut. And they got, each one has a sprig of thyme and a sprig of rosemary stuck in it with sea salt on top. And I spread some of that on some toast. And the first thing, the first and only thing I thought was, do you know how many pounds of that shit I have left laying in the woods? Yeah. Right. yeah. And most hunters today Dude, don't know about it. Just, yeah. yeah. But it does take some work. But on a white tail, there's not a lot there. I usually say to people, I usually say like on a, a white Bigger than a white tail, it's worth your while. I think on tongue and I think on marrow bones, you know, you get into an elk, like that's a marrow bone. Right. A mule yeah. deer, a white tail, it's just not a lot of. You think know. about game processors in the West. Hmm. How many pounds of that stuff? But I don't think that out. shit can't be that good for you. I think it's real good. Why not? Is it for you, good for you? I don't know. Like, if you're trying to like watch, I don't care. I don't pay attention to it. But if you're in a situation cholesterol. physically where you're trying to watch cholesterol and all that. Better than a Coca-Cola, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and cholesterol it's is actually good, good for you. Just yeah. an overabundance of cholesterol. It just depends on what diet is in fat. Right. And these days, high fat is in. So it's Yeah, but, but the, here's the thing. It real is, fat. I didn't change what I, I eat. I eat what I'm going to eat. I know what I feel good eating. Now, people who are like, oh, I used to not eat this and now I eat that. When you're involved in a fad diet, no one knows they're doing a fad diet while they're doing it. They only know it's a fad diet later. So now you got the whole damn world. It's like skinny jeans. Who just like re, yeah. It's like, oh, this is what jeans look like. No, it's not what jeans look like. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, now everybody's like, oh, yeah, fat, fat, fat. Oh, of course, it's the, you know, it's healthy. But it's like a while ago, no one was doing it. They're doing it now. All the people that change what they eat all the time according to what they're hearing on whatever kind of media they take in, those people will in some amount of time move away from fat. Mm-hmm. I will still be consuming the same food I always eat because I don't shift my food around based on what dudes tell me. But for but most people, not most, many, many people do. And then now they'll be like, oh, what you're supposed to do. And then they'll be on to some other shit and they'll be like, you should really be eating a ton of bread and refined sugar. That's actually where the science is. And nah, 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 and that's what I eat now. Do you eat that? 
No. I'm just saying, <laughs> no one engaged in a fad diet knows they're in a fad diet. Right now, there's a fad diet. Yeah. That, that happened to be like, Yanni and I were talking about this with shoes. When I used to work for Ronnie Bain, Twin Lake Installations, we wore red wing boots that had a white flat sole on them because we did most of our work on concrete, bare concrete floors. I, the other day, found a pair of these boots and purchased them because I'd always liked that style of boot. And Yanni was saying, those boots are the shit right now, real in fashion. And we were talking about when fashion comes and collides, like fashion comes and collides with you. Like you're on a path and all of a sudden you get hit by fashion. Yeah, that fashion (laughs) was just where somebody went home and saw it pair of grandpa's old boots and said, man, those, yes. those mothers would look good. Yes. Why don't I make some money and we'll just popularize yeah. that and make that the new thing. So fashion collided with you. And that's easy because stupid follows that all the time. Yeah. I mean, look at America. I mean, just, oh yeah, let's create this and it's another stupid thing we can spend money on. You know? Exactly. But for the bone marrow. But I, feel like I, I feel like my diet has been, I feel like the diet I eat has has fashion came and collided into my diet now they'll all go off and do other shit but i'll be eating what i like to eat yeah but for the bone marrow there's like if you eat a like back in you know before people agriculture and (laughs) and civilization (laughs) Um, not quite before people but before we could go buy food in the grocery store there's a legitimate reason to eat bone marrow because lean meat doesn't have what bone marrow has in it yeah it's a factory diet you want to hear an interesting theory that I read one time? I don't know where I don't know if this theory is fashionable anymore. Ricky might be able to speak to it. You're schooled up on this kind of stuff. Uh, when you look at the African diaspora, by which hominids um, left Africa, of course Neanderthals left Africa, you know, six hundred thousand years ago, and had quite a long tenure in Europe before we showed up, before Homo sapiens showed up. But there's a theory out there that hominids didn't leave Africa. Tell me if you've ever heard this. I read this. Wait a minute. And I'm not, I'm not weighing in on this. I'm just telling you about a thing I read. I find that oftentimes people have a very hard time. Like, you'll go and tell someone about something you read, and you're just saying, like, I read this thing. I'm telling you what I read. And they'll get mad at you. So you're like, they're like, Mad at you. I'm like, I can't tell. Are you mad at me that I read it? Or are you mad at me that I'm telling you about it? Because I'm not claiming that it's mine. I'm just well, telling you that also, I read this thing. There's also not a one-to-one, right? In the reading and the interpretation of the thing you read. Well, for, let me give you for instance. I mean, you might, you have a pretty good memory, though. Like, let me give you for instance about what his I'm memory here's, here's a prime example of what I'm talking about. I once read an article. I think I just told you guys about this. I read an article where it was saying, like, were we to build... Were we to build a, an impenetrable wall between the U.S. and Mexico? I heard that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hear me out. I'm not doing any. Here's the problem. I'm not doing value judgment right now. Okay. But there's no way for people to listen to me without realizing I'm not doing value judgment because people have so much shit in their head that they need to assign value even when someone's not making value judgment. But there was a biologist who said, were we to build this impenetrable wall between the U.S. and Mexico border? It would have, it may have the following implications for migratory patterns and movements of jaguars, mountain lions, and black bears. 
So he's just saying, as we consider this idea, if you're interested in large carnivores and large omnivores, when making the decision about the rights and wrongs of this, a set of factors to consider would be the movements of large, rare animals. The wild kingdom. Okay. He's just throwing it out there. Right. Now, I put this article up on uh, social media. I put it up on Facebook and get bombarded with people saying, well, if you lost your job to a, you know, Mexican migrant. But it's like, but I'm like, no, no, no. I wasn't saying that at all. I know. But I didn't write the article. I'm sharing with you a collection of thoughts about a thing that's in the national debate. And people are, were attacking me for having drawn attention to a piece of field work done by someone. Because they couldn't keep their values out of it or their, yeah. their worldview out of it. But it, it, here's what I fail to see. Why could you not support the wall? And do it, be like, yes, all factors included, all factors considered, including the implications for jaguars, mountain lions, and black bears, I still support the wall. And I've taken time to consider that. Because my... People don't work that way. Yeah. They're like, I don't want to hear about that shit, because I support the wall. <laughs> Who cares about those bears? No, yeah. it's like, no, they're they not might even, even like the bears. They're, they're not like, even there. They're like, they're like, you can't say, like... You can't look at things. Can't even bring up the topic. Don't yeah, even, it's don't like even, people don't, have this thing where they don't, don't want to look at up. things well. So I'm well, I'm prefacing my I'm Africa. prefacing my story because I'm not making a comment about humans and and, and how our species came. I, I, I'm not talking about any of that. Right. I read a story. Yeah. So where someone was positing, someone was making a hypothesis that the human diaspora from Africa had some link in time with the um, with the proliferation of saber-toothed cats. Now, here's why this is important to this theory. Saber-toothed cats can't crack open bones. Could not. Just teeth their, structure. Their tooth structure. We were talking about how a wolverine will get into yeah, a femur. Yep. He'll whittle his way in there like a dog you know, a dog will slowly destroy a bone. A wolverine was going to get in there. Eventually, he's going to get that marrow out. Saying saber-toothed cats uh, can make a kill. They eat soft tissue. They, could, they couldn't get into the bone. Once you had, this guy was positing. I can't remember if it was a man or woman. Saying that once we see this great proliferation of saber-toothed cats on the landscape, we start seeing a, a, a more movements out of humans. He was suggesting that that there was, a, there was a, 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 an abundance of bone marrow on the landscape. Because the people who were, didn't have a very sophisticated tool set um, were just starting to, to mess around with stone tools and, and figuring out how all that shit worked. We knew about adzes and hammers and anvils and things, but weren't very effective at going out and killing large, dangerous animals with projectile points yet. And they were making a li- they were making so a life like pre pre human human right making These- a lifestyle out of uh, out of scavenging carcasses and cracking them open and getting and, and getting marrow and it was just crazy. throwing it out there that that's something I read I think that's well there's they they talk about this idea that early humans were scavengers all these like sort of bipedal semi bipedal creatures cruising around and then they could carry away meat. They could like run up to a carcass, grab some shit, and hus- hustle off before the big guy showed up. 
before, yeah. Like our Wolverine friend. <laughs> yeah, or Dragging in, off part <laughs> by part. You know? Right. No, you don't want to, you can't fight. You don't, I mean, you just aren't equipped to fight with other predators, but you can run and grab stuff. And carry. bone marrow is transportable. It comes in its own package. <laughs> it's, right? it's sealed. It's hermetically yeah. sealed. Yeah. No, I think. How long can that last? You know what? I'm going to start. I should start messing around with going and cracking open a bone now and then and seeing what it looks like. I have found old bones before and cracked them open and had it been like kind of dried out and whatnot. But it'll be really interesting to take a shin bone and throw it out of your yard. I have to think it would last a long time, man. I mean, a hell of a lot longer than the, than the boneless like meat. Like a week in like 70 degree weather or longer, not even. I can't say. It would, yeah. I wouldn't be. I, t- I can tell you I wouldn't be surprised. No, but I think if it's cold. Uh, reasonably cold yeah. out, refer- like forty degrees or colder. It's, just- it's solid at room. It's solid at room. It's a fat that's yeah. solid at room temperature. Yeah. We ate it more than a week later. Yeah, true. Nine yeah. days later. Yeah, just laying on an airstrip. Just laying on an airstrip for nine days. <laughs> just, you know, the best thing is the scapula had you know bits of meat just kind of on it, but the like. It's cured. Oh gosh, yeah, it was cured, but the color, the white bone. Red meat, blueberry, bone marrow. Man. We had to scavenge from the scavenger. We had to take what the wolverine left us. Yeah. <laughs> we, went up, we went up to get the femurs, and the wolverine had hauled off our femurs. We had to sell it for shin bones. And now that's my favorite marrow bone. I don't know why in the world I had never cut into a shin bone. Yeah, I'd watch those camp uh, robbers climbing all over those things when they were up there on the... So you know they were... Doing their thing on those bones, too, on those scapulas. That's a bright bird, man. Yeah. Like the camp robbers, after we, so we killed a moose, and the camp robbers were there within a couple hours. Not even, probably an hour. And we were throwing bits of fat to them. Yeah. And then we realized. They weren't That we were being it. followed. Yeah. Rest of the week. We were being followed by camp robbers all the time. They're like, see those dudes? Yeah. <laughs> I would follow those guys, man, because there's going to be something. Good food source. Because yeah, they got to get there before gray, the Ravens gray, get there. Gray Jays? Gray, yeah, there's, there's whiskey. They call them Whiskey Jack, Gray Jay, Camp Robber. Yeah, Corvid, Corvids. Yeah, All old trappers that like them because they Canadian Jay, too, right? Is that another word for them? I think so. Might be. I know that like you read when you read old trapper accounts, they really didn't like them because they would tune into your trap line. And in all your Martin sets, they would always be, they'd harass your bait. So people were always pissed at them. When Ooh. they killed the mad, tra- the mad Trapper from Rat River, he had a couple frills and whiskey jacks in his backpack. He was feeding off them. Wolverines feeding too. off the great Tra- trappers hate wolverines too. They do the same thing. Follow the trap line, right? And yeah. then they would just eat eat the stuff that got stuck catch in the your, trap. Kill your catch. Yep. Giannis Senior, you got any concluding thoughts? Oh yeah, quite a few. Well, it's been you, an extraordinary I, week. Well, two weeks, basically. Uh well, a couple things. Let me start out first of all. Take your time. Having just watched the show, having been involved with my son, just you know, seeing what he goes through. Uh, what, what, what does that mean? Well, I'm sorry. Let me back. <laughs> having talked to my son, and you know, hearing what he does to do the show, and having met you in the field before doing a show. But now being in a show puts a whole entirely different perspective on it. it ha- it's an incredible amount of work that you guys, and I'm talking about everybody, so it's not just you, it's not him, it's the camera, crew, the field, 
you know, production assistants, everybody works their asses off. Yeah, they work hard. To make this show go. And I mean, it to me, you know, everybody has kind of like their time and place. They're all like a well-oiled wheel in the bigger set of wheels. It all moves together. You never hear anybody bitching, at least hardly at all. Did you hear some bitching? <laughs> Dude, I start feeling bad. Like, I felt bad for Corey. Yeah. Well. Because I, like, yeah, reminded yeah. myself that Corey's here working, and it's like we're just sitting in one place for several days. And I started to feel self-conscious. No, I just go in my own little world. <laughs> Some people pray for the job that you just described. Well, I know. But it's for several days. Not in the wind tunnel. Not in the wind tunnel. But the people, when they watch a show, I mean, like, you know, some of these silly reality shows are on TV. I, I don't think that those camera people have to move around as much as what I saw you guys doing this week. I mean, it's... When they say 40 pounds of gear, they're not kidding. And it's probably more than that. And then you got headsets on. And this stuff that we're walking over is, I mean, it's either rock shale sliding or it's moss that sinks in. And then you got these tussocks of grasses, right? Very uneven. And you're watching somebody on a lens and you're moving across this while they're moving. That's a tough job. Tough job. And then putting the whole, that entire picture together, it's an incredible amount of work. That's yeah. the first thing I want to say. So my hat's off to you guys. And then my hat's off to you, Steve, because you add an incredible amount of authenticity to that show because you won't take anything but top tier, man. There's like, there's no fraud to this show. It's like the real deal. And it was tough enough just walking, you know, around, hanging around you, but just to keep up with you, it's it's tough. And knowing that you want that better quality show. So when I asked you why are you making, why do you do Meat Eater, your answer was excellent. It was for those guys who hate TV who want to see the real deal. And, yeah. I, and I may be paraphrasing it. No, that's what I'm always, you know, you get like in your mind, you're sort of picturing who you want. Yeah. Yeah, I like the guy right. who hates yeah. TV. Yeah, and that's what this show is about. Yeah. And, of course, you know, I'm coming in kind of from the outside, you know, considering myself an experienced hunter, man. Well, not really. Not when you put yourself into Alaska because that's an entirely different environment. So the, that, you know, I mean, there's a lot of environmental conditions that you, I had to get used to, like constantly having your hands cold. You know, you, I mean, you do warm up, but it's you're constantly cold. It's just it's one of those things. Yeah. Well, like, I, thought, I thought you were kicking ass, though. Well, I thought I did okay for a guy that's, you know, my age and, and physical condition, all things considered. Yeah, I thought I did all right. Crew acknowledged that. Hey, yeah, talk, about, talk yeah, a little yeah. bit about, can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Well, talk I don't know why you're wearing bit. it like that. <laughs> why you like... got the head part across <laughs> your forehead? Because <laughs> I've got a pointy head. And when we get into this time period of the podcast and it's sitting right on top, it really starts to Can you, can you, you keep passing with them coldies? Yeah. Um, but no, about how you really haven't camped in oh yeah forty plus a, years, and yeah. all of a sudden you oh, went really? on a, on that. a nine day camping trip. Yeah, camping like forty years? No. Where were you oh, camping wow. all those? How many ever forty years ago? Well, I was with my dad, you know, oh. in, in a tent. 
And then I think we no. This isn't car camping. This is like oh, no. This this, this is, is the real deal. This is the real deal. Yeah, I mean you're out there in the effing wilderness, and it, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's cold. You it's were asleep night. in about 20 seconds every oh, night. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what? I, hey, this is no kidding. I would lay down. I could get like a third of the way through my meditation. <laughs> the only thing I remember is my son waking me up. Quit snoring, Dad. That what's was your, only hey, one night. What's your, med- what's your meditation? Uh, that's for me. It's private. Well. You, not your, okay, don't tell me yours, but what do you mean by that? I meditate. What, what does that mean? Basically, I just release everything just i just let like it a all checklist ha- in your head well i do the we're gonna yeah i do i go through a little checklist and then at the end of that checklist i basically just i zone out okay. i just go to that other place no nothing your, there does your checklist consist of specific things that you need to think through or is it that you're emptying of everything that comes up yeah i'm not going to share that with you you're going to have to develop that on your own well, why can't you share it with me because it's it's a personal thing. It's what oh I do. Gosh. In other words, it's the way I've developed my intuition, my my practice. Can you share I with mean, me Ken, what Co- Corey will tell you? I mean, I think it's a very personalized thing. But what is the goal? Let me ask. The goal is nothingness, to be totally nothing, to be totally withdrawn from everything that is around you. So from all from emotion, from all want to be just i don't know that's like the ultimate spirit now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients and as often is the case those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator 
to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline, so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. That point. Are you able to meditate while hunting, or do you meditate? You got to be in the dark and you're sleeping. No, night. you can you can meditate any place, point, time. It's just various levels of meditation that you can achieve. Yeah, I don't do anything like that. But I remember I read something not long ago where someone was uh, a practitioner of meditation. Yeah, someone said to him, "You know, I don't have time to meditate 20 minutes a day." He said. If you don't have time to meditate 20 minutes a day, you ought to be meditating two hours a day. I totally agree. It basically, in two minutes, you can do anything that you need to do. At last. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff online. People want to check it out. Yeah. Um, the, the I, got last, no, I got no experience with it. I don't really understand what it is. Well, but you're going there. I mean, you're on your own path, you know. And eventually things will come to you that will say, hey, you know what? I got to check this out. What I do do, I stumbled into a Eastern practice, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it is or not. When I can't sleep, I focus very heavily on inhaling and exhaling. Your breath. Yeah. I just think about, okay, like air coming in, coming in, coming in, air going out, going out, going well, out. That's, and it makes you fall asleep so goddamn fast. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I don't do yoga like my son does, but I think that's the one common thing with, with meditation that's the simplest of all meditations, just basically concentrating on your breath. Yeah. Real simple. So the last thing I want to say it's about... your last concluding thought. You're, you're not yeah, all you want. The last item would be that having grown up in the Midwest, hunted in the Midwest and then in the West for big game, elk, antelope, and uh, mule deer, hunting out there is still you kind of get the feeling that you're hunting in a box. How so? Uh, kind of like a cornflakes box, but I'm saying Midwest was definitely the cornflakes box, and then you go out west, and it's a little bit bigger. When you oh, get, like you're in a contained area. That's somehow. right. When you yeah. get to Alaska, it's like somebody took the, the top and just ripped it right off of that cornflakes box, and there's just no limit. I mean, there is. You look around you, and you go like, holy smokes, man. 
no matter what direction I look in, it's this is it. Yeah. And that took some getting used to. A thing that first struck me when I started hanging around in Alaska, and it was after, I didn't start hanging around in Alaska until my, uh, one of my older brothers finished his schooling and went up there to, as a biologist. It, the first thing that struck me, and it, it still strikes me now, is to see the size of rivers that don't have roads on them. Because you think about, like, even right. in the West, right. there's a certain size of river. The in like there's a threshold right where you right. hit like a size of river that invariably has a road on it. Right, right, right. And the fact that you can have, well, the Yukon, for instance, thousands of miles, which is a you know drains a significant portion of the continent. It is by all definitions a mighty river. Right. There's there's no paralleling road. No. Yeah. I mean, it's and amazing. If you imagine, like I used to think, like if I was king of the world. Where my call just made, I would take a lot of river courses in the American West, and I would, and I would, I would make them not roaded. If I was just able to act with impunity, you know, what I mean, just oh. do, I, I would say yeah. like, you know, we're gonna take this river and just have a road on it. We're gonna tear the road up. But um, in Alaska, you have giant, mighty rivers. True. That you can't. That, that there, there's no road to go on them. Right. I said to the pilot today, flying out. I said, do you think right now, still today? That there are populations of game animals, moose and whatnot, that are living and dying, unhunted, simply because you cannot get to them. He said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Because like, you got a moose, you kill a moose, you, ha- you are bound by law to move 500 pounds of flesh. Got to get it out of there. So you either are going to have to get a, a, a wheeled vehicle. Or you're going to have to get a boat, or you're going to have to get fixed-wing aircraft because you can't and you can't use a helicopter for any aspect of hunting. You can't transport hunters. You can't transport hunting equipment. You can't transport meat. Has to be fixed-wing aircraft. Right, or a horse. Did you mention a horse? Didn't, but yeah, horse. Yeah. So you need to get a some form of conveyance there, or you're limited by what you can do on your own self. Well, Yanni was just saying that tonight. This hunt that I experienced today probably would not have been possible except for a very few people, what, 25, 20 years ago? I was relaying to him how Buck oh, had said buddy. that now we can do these hunts in a week because it's so easy to get in, get out. Yeah. Where even just 20, 30 years ago when you wanted to come up and do this kind of hunt, it was going to take a month. Yeah. The, you know, the old, old guys would say that Alaska was ruined by the bush plane. Um, Buck Bowden, who we were talking about being a, a moose expert, moose caller, Buck Bowden one day was saying to me just a couple months ago. In fact, I was at his place in the Southern Alaska range and he was saying, you know, the really true hunting, the true hunting ended 30, 40 years ago. And I said, well, what was the true hunting? He goes, it's before we had satellite phones and stuff. He goes, because back then, that was like the exploration. You could still ride a horse and go in and fly in and ride a horse in and hunt stuff no one had hunted in modern times. Right. And he said the sat phone ruined it because 
as a guide, we used to wave goodbye to that plane and it was going to be 10 days, 20 days. And there was no change in anything. It was when that plane took off, it was gone. And you had a rendezvous to meet that plane at a specified point in 10 or 20 days. And then you just hunted. He said, now a lot of clients get their thing and they can't get out of there quick enough. Yeah. And they're on the sat phone. I like the guy. And he'll even say, let's go get a caribou. Let's go look for a bear. And they're like, let's get the hell out of here. I got what I'm after. Right. And he said it really started to sour things for him that long ago. So it's always like, you know, wool from our perspective. Like I consider that we're like, I'll always be that I experienced the good old days. Right. And there'd be some as yet undeveloped technology. And then in 10 years or 20 years, I'll be sitting around saying that I had it during the good days and now it's all messed up because of unknown. At least we didn't have cell phones out there. I mean, yeah, I, I, get, I could imagine one day where oh, for some sure. sort of satellite, oh, whatever. Every oh. cell phone. Can't get an email, can't send a text, can't make a phone call. Yeah. So yeah, you can make a phone call on a satellite phone, but yeah, so someday we'll be like, man, it used to be. Well, I couldn't send a you know, text message or whatever. You're making up for it tonight, though. That's right. Yeah, yeah, but don't feel bad, Rick. I can't tonight yet either. So all right, that's good. I'm making. Yeah, I'm balancing out the. Yeah, any concluding thought? Was, He's got his headset back on, right? Was it? Uh, did the Wolverine think about taking the two femurs? My closing thought is a question. Oh, I have a theory about this. Did he take the two femurs, or was it just coincidence and ra- or randomness? I think he couldn't move those front legs. Because of the shoulder blades? He's just too damn big with that scapula and everything. That's my theory. He's got four legs. I, I should call my brother, who does a lot of statistics work through work for work. What are the chances if you have four objects? Rick, Rick will be able to figure this out. What are the chances that he grabbed the two back legs what are the odds? You have four objects. What are the odds that two of them, two specified ones, get picked? I don't know. What are your combinations? What, you grab one front, one back, uh, two fronts. Or so two backs. Or two backs. Yes, yeah, so there's only three. You have two A's and two B's. Three options, And right? someone has two picks, and they happen to grab two B's. What are the odds that they're going to grab two one, B's? One out of three. Darn bad odds. Is it? But you're not talking about a human being. You're talking about an animal. You know, you used to trip me out about statistics. No, but still it's still the same probability, right? I mean, if it was random. I'm saying I don't think. In my mind, I haven't thought, oh, it was randomness. But here's another thing my brother talks about oftentimes because he's very involved in, you know, probabilities. That we find patterns. He thinks fly fishermen are – fishermen, not fly fishermen. Fishermen are more guilty of this than most. We see patterns where no pattern exists oh, they were coming on chartreuse. And then all of a sudden, they were coming on olive. Humans were good He's at like, it. I yeah. think that it has a lot to do with coincidence and what was going on. And like, maybe one of you, you were running three different things and some guy cast a chartreuse and someone caught one on. And then everybody put a chartreuse on and later appeared as though chartreuse, but you know. It's the classic correlation causation issue. It's, yeah. it's rampant. But with the Wolverine, I feel that I, I, this might drive him nuts were he here right now. I feel as though there's something about that it was easy to drag those back legs off and the scapulas were hard to manage. I don't know. 
Maybe they taste better. Yeah, maybe they taste better. That's what Yanni was driving at, weren't you? <laughs> well, oh, yeah. He's, he's thinking there's more, 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 more burn marrow. But he's yeah. handled enough carcasses to know what's got the goods. Were they the two closest bones? Well, what was interesting about, because Brody and I went and looked for, for him one last time last night right at dusk, and I pulled that hide over that carcass. That hide was still pulled over the rib cage. I noticed that. So well, he, so he hadn't gone through the pain to go do that, to dig inside there, to for whatever reason. He's like, no, I'm taking these four lower legs, and I'm going to go stash them. I think, and this again, <laughs> this is me. I'm not anthropomorphizing, but I'm, uh, I, I think that when, when a critter like that shows up, I think that he, through experience, knows that a bigger, badder something's going to show up. Same way like a gray jay. They're the first to the carcass. They get displaced, no doubt, by the ravens. Yeah. The ravens are going to get displaced. The ravens we saw get displaced by the wolverine. The wolverine has to know from experience that when you find something, a very good approach is to get that shit out of there before the grizzly shows up. Yeah. yeah. Although so they're known we, to every now and then. Yeah. But I'm sure, like... Like the fact that he was dragging it way across the hillside, down into wherever he was dragging it, yeah. I, he was getting it away from something. Sure. So we know that that he was dragging. No, him? I don't. Oh. I know that he was dragging it, but I don't. We know. saw him dragging. No, we saw him dragging parts off. So I don't know. I'm just like I, I'm trying. I like as I try to make sense out of uh, out of things I observe in in a somewhat unscientific fashion. Yeah. Informed maybe by some amount of science. I feel like there's something like that going on. It just happens that when I saw. The other Wolverine that I saw. Oh, yeah. Oh, you saw another one? He saw a Wolverine. Four years this. ago. Tell uh, that. And he was doing the same thing. He was caching parts. Off caribou kills. Yeah. Was there any rhyme or reason to what he was hauling away? No, the first thing I saw him hauling away was just like, before I could get my spotting scope on him, I could not for the life of me figure out what animal I was looking at because he was hauling away a whole... Half a neck and a whole head of a cow caribou that still had, you know, her antlers on her head. You see that dragging along the ground? No. I mean, this dude was, like, just moving. And I'm looking at it, and I just could not, like, because you're seeing white, you're seeing antler, and just, like, you're just, like, running through the species in your snow. head. You're in the snow. Yeah. And, you know, black animal in the snow, and it Jack wasn't. Lope. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. It's like this weird jackalope thing. But yeah, finally I got a spot and scope on it. I'm like, oh, Wolverine carrying a cow caribou head. Sure. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? And we watched him for, you know, we probably watched him make four or five trips. He would go into like this kind of a draw that later we skied by it. And you could see it kind of had like a, a crevasse almost, you know, kind of he had like a little stat, like a, just a dark hole that he was going down into. And we watched him make four or five trips. Putting caribou parts in there. Yeah. This is up around the Arctic Circle? Yeah, north of the Arctic Circle. Um, north side of the Brooks Range. South or north? North. Huh. Is that your concluding thought? Yeah. That was a good addition to the story. Corey? Uh, since we, I think, just, just fig... Oh, sorry, it's late, but we just finished up a father-son uh, meat eater. It's just a good reminder... I think to not take for granted your loved ones or your family members and, you know, set aside some time in your busy schedules maybe to go do an adventure with them or, yeah. 
you know, just get out there and enjoy each other's company while you can. Good point. No, that's true shit. I thought about that a lot. I think about a lot. Of, I think about my father a lot all the time. I thought about, like, how much he would have enjoyed a trip like that. Yeah. No, I heard it once in a hunting camp. We're actually in Mexico guiding coos deer, and there's a father-son combo there. And they said one of the biggest reasons they like to go hunting together was for the windshield time. Because when they're on the hunt, they're like pretty hard. They're hardcore hunters, and they're hunting. But they're like, yeah, we always drive everywhere. So there's like this time, this time period where they, that they don't have in their lives anymore without kids and wives and life and work and stuff going on. So they get to get in the truck together and drive six or 12 or two days time and have windshield time and just get to talk. Yeah. Yeah, hunting. I mean, for me and my father, it's it created this situation the last 10, 15 years where we spent time together where that we wouldn't have otherwise. You know? Right. Best hunt I was ever on was when he shot that gigantic, that, that gigantic. big buck. I don't, and I, I, nothing I've ever shot. Like, no hunt I've ever been on is compared to that, you know. Well, it's true because I now, kind of every year, we try to get up to Wisconsin and have a turkey hunt I do with both my sons. And other people, but primarily with them. And it's, yeah, it's an enjoyable time. Yep. And they're, you know, it's not like they're little kids anymore. <laughs> I'm learning. Well, it's valuable, especially yeah. when well, you're older. Well, that's the thing. Older. It's different when you're, when you're both adults, you know. Yeah. It's not like dad taking the 12-year-old. Right. No, it's right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's oh, a that's big maybe difference. what Yanni thinks. <laughs> that's that's the problem is I never got like with my own with my own dad, I never got beyond that point. Like right. I got to be the age, you know, and then I we moved me my like we just moved away. So I never had like a I never took the time really except for like hunting rabbits and small game for five, six hours. Never took the time to go out like as adults. Then he died. Okay, you know? We'll just hang out with Yanni Senior. We'll give you some more of this. Good. Rick? I mean, there's two, two things. One, I mean, as a non-hunter, I've really enjoyed getting to hang out with the, like, I don't know, hunting-cultured humans, like progressive hunters that are getting after it, and I feel like doing it in a way that's, uh, I, I don't know, I can see myself pursuing hunting in a way that I haven't before and one just mostly wolves and wolverines and totally all the <laughs> <laughs> like I just all the, all large carnivores all the yeah and omnivores yeah let's not leave out the omnivores um no but I just I look forward to that point where I'm gonna I don't know kill kill something and eat it and cook it up and it just is such a cool process um uh, to be a part of so that's that's on the one hand and then is also da- is your dad still alive Yep. You still talk to him? Yep. Yep. He would he would have not wanted to hike around. He would have, he would have been camp cook. Is that right? Yeah, he would have been happy to cook up some good stuff, put some butter on some bone marrow. Yeah. He he would have loved that. But he would have he would have not really wanted to hike around. Yeah, I mean he would have done it maybe. But uh that being said, the other thing was uh the Latvian part of this episode like I mean, we sort of like joke about it when you guys are. I mean, I'm listening to your audio all the time, and so them arguing Latvian. No, well, when they're on camera, the Giannis's when they're on camera would speak English, but as soon as soon as they walked off, almost always just bust right into Latvian, 
And to listen to that, it's just like, I don't know, there's something fulfilling about um, about a culture that has kind of maintained its language. And, I mean, Giannis Jr., Yanka, I mean, he was born in the States. His dad was born in the States. Right. But still speaks Latvian. And I think that that seems rare that that would still that would happen right a lot of a lot of second generation immigrants sort of uh have a really tough relationship with their um first language i think just because of trying to assimilate uh so to see to see yanka and kind of embrace speaking latvian is just it's I feel like I'm jealous in some ways. It's such a cool thing to be able to have your your guys own like I don't know little in secret language, <laughs> secret <laughs> secret friggin' coded ancient unrelated language. It's well, weird you. to listen to because they'll be doing their thing and then like an English word will pop up in the middle of a sentence and it just sounds wrong. Like yeah. copy and then Latin, co- or Latvian copy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole, the whole deal. It was good. What was the charm you were given, Steve? Oh, yeah, can you tell that, that secret charm? Well, it's not a secret charm. It's just a well-known charm. It's, it's actually a <laughs> or whatever it is. I didn't tell you the full story. I thought I didn't want to spoil it for no, you. No, just don't tell me the story. Just bless this here beer bottle, or not bless, but whatever it is. <laughs> and I can't do that with a beer bottle. It's oh, that, really? Not the. It's it's the mystique. Can, can it's you the, tell people? Would you mind yeah. telling listeners what it was? The incantation, whatever it is. Yeah, I just the words you uttered. When 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 giving my when setting things in motion no, then, for my but, rifle, but I have to do the whole thing. I have to tell you the what it is that you I told did. me that yet. I will. I will now. Oh. So this incantation is nothing more than a little ditty that you use with small children. That when you're deciding which one is it. So it goes like, oh, it's ankle an danko drilly do. That's what you're doing in my life. bricks. So now, if Why you're. Why my gun? <laughs> because you're I made a believer me? out of you. Oh, that that's moment, why you said you're setting things in motion. For that moment, I changed your uh, acceptance of that, and you, you believed it. You were right there, man, because you yeah, had me do it yeah, twice. No, no, yeah. You so, washed it up with water. No, you were doing eeny, meeny, miny, moe. <laughs> That's what it was. Remember, that when he said, the toe. remember when he said, did you cross water? You're like, yeah. he's like, oh, God, you cross water. That's right. You uh, washed it away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't care. You want to you put that, I mean, there's a lot of, right. in, in that context, you get it? Mm-hmm. So if I make a book and say, this is the book of Giannis, man, this is the way you got to do it. Yeah. And if you're a believer, you're going to do it that way. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm tracking. Brody, concluding thoughts? Yeah. Um, the, obviously, this whole thing's about Alaska. And when people talk about Alaska, they talk about it as this, like, all-encompassing, like, umbrella kind of word. And my experience with Alaska up until this point was at your cabin in southeast Alaska, which couldn't be more different from where we were in the Alaska range. And, like, 
it's almost a disservice to say I went to Alaska because people just get whatever they're going to get in their head. Some yeah, and I'm with some you. nature documentary about Denali or whatever, and Alaska has like I don't know how many like Southeast Alaska, Interior Alaska, Arctic Alaska, and it's just big. Yeah. And it was super it's so, cool. It's so different than yeah. the Southeast. Yeah. yeah. It, and it was amazing to see that that difference, experience it. Makes you want to see different, more different places in Alaska. So you had a good time? Hell yeah. Yeah. It was impressive. Even though, you know, you passed up on old three-time. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I messed up. Uh... My concluding thought, it kind of has to do with fathers and sons. We just talked about this the other day, and I can't get it out of my head. It's not something that I came up with, but Mo, um, who we work with quite a bit over the years, was was talking about having kids. And he was saying that how when you have kids, and he has young kids that are my kids' ages, he's like, when you have kids, all you wish upon them is that uh, they'd be happy, you know? And you don't, like he said, he was talking about how you don't spell it out. You don't spell out like, oh, I want you to, you know. He's just like, no, I just, it's just that. Like, that's all I want. I just want them to be happy. Whatever that means for them, you know. And then later in life, you know, later in life when, you, when you're looking at your own life, you get into all these specifics. Like you want, hey, if I you know, want this truck, I want this house. All these specific things you want. And you lose sight of that original idea that you would have upon your own children. Just be like, oh, I just want them to be happy. It just you, you don't talk that you don't use that term anymore. You know, you're talking about like things that will, right? Right. But he's saying that now that he knows, that's just a side note to what he's the point he's making with me that's really stuck with me. He's saying that now that he has kids, and he knows how badly he wants his kids to just be happy. He's like, oh, now I understand how my parents must have felt. Right. They must have just looked at me and all they ever wanted was for me to be happy. And he was saying, and now I'm at a point in life where I am. He's like, and I'm going to make a point to go and say, you know what? I'm happy. Because now that I'm a parent, I realize how much that probably means to you. Yeah. You know? Got it. It's an interesting observation. Right. He's like, that's the least I could do for my parents is to let them know that the thing they obsessed over all through bringing me up has come true. It's like they did it, you know? So you bring up an interesting question. So, and that question is very obvious to me. Did your father ever know about your finding your happiness? Mm-mm. Right. And that's probably your no. biggest regret is that. that yeah, I have a million you. regrets, man. Millions of, no, no, it's probably not a million, but I got a shitload of regrets. Uh, no, because I wasn't. I, I was. I was in a. Um, I took a, at that period. Uh, I, I had in my head something I wanted to do, and it, and it was. It seemed like a moonshot. It seemed impossible. So I think he saw me. Um, he definitely saw me struggling toward something that was that I thought was impossible. And he was very encouraging that I go and do it. Never put any he pressure. Was? Oh, my parents. Listen. That's good. My mom, uh, my mom, my dad never laid any bullshit on any of us about you need to do this and you need to do that. And that's, you're just dreaming. And that's not how the real, 
nothing like that. That's interesting. Ever. Yeah, in my family. Ever, They were like, you got to find something you love to do and go do it. My mom was always the encourager and the dad said, no, you you need to go, you know, you need to be a doctor. My mom and dad never laid any of that bullshit on us, ever. My dad's thing, always said this, is you're going to spend a third of your life working. He was actually off because I feel like I spent a lot more than that. But he said, you're going to spend a third of your life working, you better do something you like. Correct. That was the only career advice he ever gave, but he gave it adamantly. And, and the same thing, yeah. like, you know, we never heard from our folks, you know, and, yeah. you know, uh, my mom, thankfully, I can still talk to my mom and she's, you know, ever, never just like do stuff you like, find a way to take what you like and make it pay. Right. The advice I give out now when I give out, if I ever have a chance to give advice out to people, which comes up now and then I'm always like, man, you got to figure out what plan A is and forget about plan B because plan B is going to be cheaper and easier, cheaper and easier. And keep you from planning. You're gonna go. You'll you'll wind up. It has a tremendous gravitational pull. Yeah. Plan B does. You know. Don't you think that, uh, like you guys are saying, tell your parents that you are happy. I think it yeah, would be. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice? I, yeah, but but I'm <laughs> and saying you got young kids. You know. But wouldn't it? I think it's just as important to tell your kids, I'm happy. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, when you're not screaming at them. <laughs> Listen. Catch up, catch up, catch up. <laughs> Listen. But no I think- more catch up. Forget you ever heard that word. And I'm happy. <laughs> okay, to wrap up, will you say we just went moose hunting? And now we're back. And thanks for listening to the Meat Eater podcast in Latvian. Sure. Mēs nu par noslēdzām lielas auņu medības Alaskas teritorijā. Un tagad mēs esam nobeiguši mūsu meat eater, tas būtu tā kā gaļas ēdēja radio programmu, un mēs esam cauri. Well put. Thank you, Janis Sr. You're welcome. It's actually Janis Jr. It is Janis Jr. How the hell that makes Janis? Hey, man, the hospital. Janis III? The hospital screwed it up. All right, thanks for tuning in. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. 
No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.